Yeah, Nystrom. Nystrom's really getting some good right hands in. Gillies is down with Sandstrom. Somebody better help Sandstrom. Everyone must be held accountable for their actions. You cannot see your star carried out in a stretcher and do nothing about it. Oh my, did Mick plant one on C-Card. Wow. You can't put a bounty on a man's head. I just did. The spinning, spinning, who's he going to go after? The puck drops and Bob Gartner goes right to King Plattenberg. But just a minute, Al Arbor has won four Stanley Cups, so don't start telling Al Arbor what to do, you and John Davison. Welcome back to Coliseum Chronicles, The Penalty Box. I'm your host, Joe Lazito. This is episode four, part three of the Mick Vakoda trilogy. Uh, if you have listened to uh, the first, I guess it's probably about four and a half hours. Uh, I hope that you have been entertained. It was an absolute blast uh, interviewing Mick. Uh, I think Mick has some great stories. I think he's been very forthcoming, and I think he's been very honest. Uh, he's pulled no punches, just like when he played. And uh, honestly, Mick, thank you. I know I've thanked you a million times for your time, um, but uh, thanks again for your time. Um, if you're new to the show, uh, I'm basically a new show um, focused here on Islander enforcers. They don't have to have played on Long Island. They had to have been... Uh, affiliated with the organization in some way, be it draft or minor leagues or something. As long as they're affiliated with the Islanders, they are a fair game to be interviewed. Uh, my first episode uh, was uh, Dean Ewan. Uh, that was a two-parter. Uh, second episode was Paul Cruz. Third episode was Mike McWilliam and now the McVicota Trilogy. So this is part three of three episodes. Uh, won't waste too much of your time. Although, I mean, let's be honest, I'm so much fun to listen to. Um, just kidding, obviously. But um, this is round three with Mick. Uh, if you can believe it, after listening to uh, a probably about four and a half hours, I have three more hours of Mick Vakoda for you today. Uh, so yeah, so Mick, uh, to say Mick was generous with his time is uh, an understatement. So um, Mick's awesome. Uh, everybody I've interviewed is awesome, and uh, everyone that I'm going to interview going forward is awesome. So um, follow me on social media, please. Uh, my uh, personal Twitter is at Joe underscore Lozito, and the Twitter for the show is at Kali Sin Bin Pod. Uh, I'm also on Facebook. I don't know how that works. Do I have an at for Facebook? I honestly don't know. Uh, but if you search for the show... Coliseum Chronicles, it'll come up, and uh, I am on uh, Instagram too. I'm either Joseph Lozito or Joe Lozito. One of them is me, one of them is my son, so you'll be able to tell the difference. One of us is really good looking, uh, the other one is me, so uh, you'll be able to, uh, to figure that one out. So um, let me see if there's anything else. Um, mm, no, I don't think so. Um, do me a favor, check out a few other shows. Uh, Fourth Line Voice, my friend Darren does that show. He's got 40-some-odd episodes. I call him the godfather of the genre. 
Uh, latest episode is Tristan Grant. I'm actually in the middle of listening to that one now. Uh, Alec at Five for Fighting Podcast just uh, released part one of his LNAH special. Uh, he actually interviewed Darren and Curtis Swanson. I'm looking forward to part two. Uh, William at the Biscuit Podcast, he does some really good shows as well. Uh, I don't think he's put one out for a few days. I think I'm all caught up with him. Uh, I think he just had Darren McCarty on, if I'm not mistaken, uh, which was really awesome. Um, other than that, I don't think there's anything else. Of course, there probably is, and I'm forgetting it. But without further ado, the completion of the Mick Vakoda trilogy. Enjoy it, folks. Have a great day. So this brings us to the 1992-93 season. Um, this was the first season that they introduced the worst rule ever, the instigator rule. Uh, how did that affect your game? Um, well, I guess like that one of the things, a lot of my fights were mutual. Um, so I, it, it affected me in this way. Like when guys play dirty and you have to, you know, provoke, you know, like you have to go after them just because they won't, um, you know, fight, then you, it, they add up. It's not like they, the first one or two times that happens, it's not that big a deal. But um, after that, you start accumulating game misconduct. So, um, and I think it's like in the last five minutes as well, which a lot of times those fights used to happen at the end of the game. It's decided and, and two guys might go at it. So uh, it only affected me in the way that, it, you know, I could get suspended um, for just doing my job. Yeah. Uh, do you remember... Uh, yeah, your first goal of the season came in Philadelphia against Dominic Roussel. Now, I know, you know, I'm talking to a guy who had a natural hat trick, so I don't know if you remember all your goals, but do you remember that one? I don't remember all 14 goals, though. Okay. But was right. that the one that, like, deflected off somebody's stick and went over his shoulder? I think so. And did I get a fight with... Um... Crow? Yeah, Phil Crow, like, next shift. No, okay, uh, no, because that was a few years later. Because you were wearing the horrible jersey at that point, so, uh, so no, so, this must have just been a laser. Yeah, you know, one of my, yeah, one of my smoke shots. Like, exactly. no, I, do, I absolutely don't remember that call. But no. we'll, we'll call it a laser. Yeah, and Joe, listen, I'll tell you, I don't remember many things in Philadelphia except being scratched for that brawl. We had a brawl at eleven o'clock in the morning one year, and I think it was Al Kerr, Gail Hinn. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah, and that was, uh, I think it was a home-and-home, and And the day before was at the Coliseum, and nothing happened, and then the next day at the Spectrum, all hell breaks loose on the opening face-off. Opening face-off, and I was expecting to play, and I was a healthy scratch. I I I just got off the bike. I didn't even get, like, dressed, and I remember going, what and it was like TikTok. It, it, I it was just a, a, a brawl, like a line brawl, right? Yep. And I remember, like, what's gonna happen at eleven o'clock in the morning, <laughs> right? And I go, that's what happens in Philadelphia: line brawls. Line brawls happen at eleven o'clock in the morning. It's it's crazy. I remember that. And the thing that stands out the most is how severely, severely outgunned the Islanders were in that brawl. Oh, absolutely. Like, I, I mean, like you had Gerald, Dale Henry, and Alan Kerr. And I don't remember who else, maybe Richard Crom. 
Um, like you just didn't have fighters, right. you know. Mm-hmm. I don't know, who, but yeah, it was uh, that was bad. They definitely could have used you in that one. So well, I don't know. I would have just been another, you know, victim of that violence. But at least <laughs> you're in, you know, like yeah. it, it's a lot better getting your head punched in than watching it from the stands. Definitely, I mean, absolutely. So we're going to fast forward. Uh, I don't know if you remember New Year's Eve 1992. You played in St. Louis. And uh, you had a few different dance partners that evening. One being Kelly Chase, uh, Murray Barron, and uh, Garth Butcher. So I don't remember the date, but I definitely remember the game for a number of reasons. One, I never liked, I love Chaser. I never liked fighting Kelly. I mean, it's just, it's beyond like, uh, you know, it was like it'd be like fighting Rich Pilon or Dave Shizelski or Dean Chanel. They're they're just like even though I didn't play with Chaser, it's like just you're so far friends that I, I, there's got to be somebody else, right? That's always been my theory. Like there's got to be somebody else I can fight. Um, I remember Chaser. He's like my he's hilarious. He's like yeah. the next time we're in St. Louis, he's got like a picture of us fighting. He's like, you sign this, like, like, fanboy. And then he's like, oh, by the way, I need you to sign your jersey. Then he pulls my jersey out. He's like, I got to frame that. That goes in the base. Like, he's got this whole setup where he collects, like, all. And I'm like, then I'm like, flattered, right? Like, I'm like, Jesus, you like Chaser, really? He goes, dude, you're going on the wall. I mean, there's Pro B, you're, you're down the line. But he goes, you're in there. Like, you're in the top row, like, back shelf. But, like, it was hilarious. That's awesome. That's awesome. And so Chaser and I, like, I still, uh, you know, much respect for Kelly. Um, The Baron fight. Did I knock him? Did I? Is that the time I knocked him out in front of the bench? I think think so. If I remember correctly, this is the night. Because I think he had a pretty good night, so. Yeah, so I hit Murray with a punch where he went down. It was like a, a mini line brawl, and I got up. And I just put my hands up. There was no linesman to be found because they were breaking up other fights. Mm-hmm. I looked at Steve Thomas, and the sick fuck that he is, he just looked at me literally like Hannibal Lecter and nodded. <laughs> I knew I was okay then. Yeah, yeah. Like, I knocked Murray out, and... The worst part of this story, Joe, is I went on a Harley ride with Tony Twist. I think I mentioned this to you before. Yeah. Murray's like in that group. Yeah. We we rode and and you know Luke Richardson and, and uh, um can't remember everybody on the trip, but we we were sitting around a fire one night and I was talking to Murray. And Murray goes, "Dude, I had no idea you could throw left." <laughs> yeah. Like, completely didn't even occur to me. Yeah. And, and I was like, Murray's a man. You know what I mean? He was a man. It wasn't yeah. like you, you knocked out Matt Barnaby or somebody. Like, you knocked out a legitimate, strong, tough guy. Um, so, like, you never feel bad because it's better than him knocking me out. Like, exactly. But you still, you know, after post-hockey, you have these experiences, and they're just good to reflect on. Yeah. That's all. So we're going to talk about two of your teammates now. Uh, one guy we haven't touched on yet, but he was a, he you played with him a very long time, and you had mentioned him uh, once or twice already, and that's Rich Pilon. So uh, talk about just you played. Uh, I think you played against him in the Western League, or was were you before him? 
Now, we we might have played against, yes, to answer your question. Sorry, Joel. Yeah, yeah we might have played against each other once. Yeah. He's younger. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, I think it goes back to, like, you know, we were talking about, like, the days with Terry Simpson. And, like, you only go out west once. Right. And they go out uh, east once. And sometimes, for whatever reason, you might not interact or and or, like, someone's suspended or hurt or whatever. So um, the chance of you meeting or developing any type of, you know, rivalry or something significant happen happening. I mean, and I say that, like, and then I remember, like, PA, Prince Albert, was out in Portland, and they had this defining bench-clearing brawl um, where, like, guys, like, I, that's where I learned to brawl, like, in all, all honesty, was this brawl in Portland with the Prince Albert Raiders, uh, the, the backup goalie, uh, I'll throw his name out there too, Peter Fry, chose not to engage and left one guy uncovered. And the, and the Raiders went around and basically found odd man matches and just smoked guys. Is that right? No, I swear to God, like Bomber was on that. That's right before they, they, they came like through Seattle and Spokane. This happened in Portland. And it was a whole, Glenn Wesley was on that team, but it was one of those, it was one of those situations where Rod Dahlman was on that team mm -hmm. in PA. Um, and I remember him sitting there, you know, living together in Springfield and him telling me like, you get in a brawl. This is how you brawl. You sucker the closest guy to you and you just keep moving around and make sure every one of your guys wins. And I was, I've never even heard of that yeah so we don't have to go you know re you know re relive the freddy brawl yeah. but that mentality like you, you know we talk about what i did or whatever it, it's rod dalman in the penalty box yeah like he's in the box then he catapults himself out of the box and that's all he does is run around and sucker guys wow and i was like well you know i would never have thought that was in a you know relative experience um, so once again, I got off track. No, we were talking about Richie. Right. And so that Richie was on, Richie was in PA and he played with those guys. Yeah. And, and he like said, like, that was their whole mentality it was like, not only do you not lose a fight, like you don't lose a brawl, you don't lose a game, you know, you don't lose a, like stupid stuff. Like you just don't lose, you know, over the red line, you don't lose a puck. Um, and chief said, that's how he grew up. And he, and he and I grew up literally, uh, 25 minutes basically from each other because he's from St. Louis, Saskatchewan. And, and that, you know, I, I, my parents used to drop me off at a cabin at Walker Lake, which was literally 20 minutes away from Richie, both like, uh, highly populated Maiti or native, native Canadians. Mm -hmm. Um, and Richie and I never met till we got to New York. Wow. And uh, when we did, we became, you know, when we made the, not that first year, mm -hmm. Joe, like when I got sent down, because I don't think Richie was even here. The second year, Richie made the team, and then there was kind of like Dean Chanel, Dave Chazowski, Richie and myself. Yeah. Um, and we started spending a lot of time together off the ice. Mm -hmm. 
And that's when, like, I think I bought a convertible IROC and Richie bought this Mustang GT. And, you know, we both lived in Huntington. Um, and we would take turn, turns driving the games. And he refused to take his car over 1,500 RPMs. Why is that? It would mess with the engine? I'm not a car guy, so I don't know. No, I don't know. Okay. I don't, I, 1,500 RPMs is like idle. I, I have no idea. <laughs> like, I'm like, dude, what are you doing? He goes, dealer told me, like, take it easy on there. What? I, I'm like, I don't know what you're doing. We're, like, on Woodbury Road. Mm. We're in traffic. You're, you, you're like, almost stalling, right? <laughs> and drop a gear. We could pass all these cars, and we could be on time. And he'd be like, you know, and, you know, and Richie has a lisp, and I don't like, yes. I don't like to make, but yeah, he would be like, you know, and my nickname is Stir, so he used to be like, you know, Stir, you need to relax, and I'm like, it's <laughs> possible to relax, <laughs> you are insane, but um, yes, we were good friends, our good friends, um, I love him, he's one of my favorite, I mean, I don't know if you ask me honestly, Joe. Like who my favorite teammate is, it would have to be like who's my funniest teammate, who's my toughest teammate, who's my closest teammate. I, I think Richie Pilon and I, we we went through the like probably the most. Like we were together the longest. Yeah. Um, Derek King's right up there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, obviously, Pat Flatley. Um, all, all the, like that group. That that's basically. Um, you know, the, 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 the guys I was closest to for the longest time, but you can jump all around to like, you know, Scott McCants or Tom Fitzgerald or some, you know, the guy posted that video on Twitter today of me and Don Maloney. Yeah. And mm-hmm. He was my, so, you know, he was my GM. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, I think he thought he might be on the outs and he's like, Hey, uh, we'd like to do something with you. And I'm like, okay, well, do you want me to get a hold of my agent? And he's like, no. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, I think you should fire your agent and come sit in my office tomorrow. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I like called my agent. I'm like, hey, I'm going to let you go. He's like, you don't know what you're doing. And I'm like, yeah, no, I don't. Fine. Click. And then I went and John's, Don's like, hey, we're going to offer you a three-year deal. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> right. Like, besides agent fees and all the bullshit, I made exactly what I was, you know, what I think I should have made, or you know, whatever. Yeah. I never wanted to leave the island. That's the other thing, Joe. Like yeah. I went to arbitration and had to say bad things about Ken Baumgartner and arbitrate. I didn't. My agent did. Yeah. Which wasn't really bad, but they were saying like I, he was bomber made more than me. Yeah. And it was comparing me. And then the Islanders were saying, well, Bomber can play defense and he can play forward. Can you play defense? I'm like, well, nobody's ever asked me, but I'm pretty sure I could. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. right. But I was saying bad things about Bomber, which right. I didn't like. And I, I didn't want to do that again, ever again. Right. I would just accept less. And I also didn't want to be traded, you know? Yeah. And I think that's stuff that Richie Pilon Honestly, he and I, we talked about this time. Like, we didn't care at that time. Like, we were like, you know, fuck the Rangers. Um, fuck Pittsburgh. 
like we're gonna we're gonna win on our like we're gonna fight like we're gonna we're gonna figure this out mm-hmm. and um i think that's why richie and i were such good friends plus casper like pissed us both off <laughs> so i think that was like, my favorite part. i was like oh my oh i can't i mean if you want i'll tell you the ziggy palfy story too like that that's the worst one all right so what we're gonna do you're gonna tell yeah. me tell the ziggy palfy story and then I want you to tell me the best, because my second person I was going to ask you about is Darius. So give me the Ziggy Palfy and then tell me what is your best Darius story that you can tell without getting him arrested. Right. No, and, and I will, I promise. And, and it might not be that good. So I don't like, I don't, you know, you don't want to get people built up and right. like, oh, right. that's it. Because, <laughs> but I, I love Casper. So that, um, but the Richie Pilon story is, so Richie, uh, uh, Dave Chisowski and I all lived together in this house. First it was Derek King and I, and then King was like, I can't, I can't live with this fucking many times. So he, <laughs> and then I sucked Richie and, and, and Chizer into living in, in Northport with me. Um, and Chief had his wife and he would go to bed every night. Chizer lived in the basement. He was 18 years old. We we're supposed to keep him out of trouble, but we were basically like, Hey, you're driving. We're hammering. Oh, and he's like, but I can't come into the bar. We're like, correct. So go get ice cream and read a newspaper and we'll be out in two hours. It shouldn't be like sitting in the car almost crying. I'm like, oh. hey, you fine. We just buy you ice cream. Like, come on, cross. Um, so what, what, who, oh, uh, Chief and Paul Fee. So I don't know how this happened, but there's a drill. Right, so the D start on the top of the circles, facing the defensive goal line, like the red line, and the forward starts on the goal line. It's a one-on-one drill. It's out of the hole. Every guy's, you know, that's ever played hockey has done this. Whistle goes. The D has to skate to the dot, face off dot, pivot, and back up, and he cannot turn until the blue line. Uh, or red line, center ice line, but it's a one-on-one drill. I start on the whistle on the goal line with a puck. The D skates up, pivots, and we go one-on-one. So Ziggy Pulp, he's pretty quick, right? Like, yeah. he he's figured this out. And it's funny. Like, he's playing against North American dum-dums, and, you know, he's just loving this. And the minute he sees the coach put the whistle in his mouth, he's gone. And... It's like for the defense, it's like a religion. You have to, from the top of the face-off circle, you have to skate to that dot, touch it with your blade, then you can pivot. Mm-hmm. And so Chief does it like a religion, right? Even as the guy's going by him. And then Al Arbor is like, Jesus Christ, Pilon. Is it Pilon or Pylon? Like, I do fucking. And, and I can see Richie's eyes. I'm like, oh, my God. Thank God it's not me. That's what I said. Thank God it's not me, because I'll fight him right now. I don't <laughs> this. I'd rather fight him than have him take my head off. Yeah. But Zygmunt Palfy gets in line, right? He's like, he's not gets in line. He's in line. And the drill goes, tweet, next face off. Tweet, off you go. And Richie pivots, and Ziggy's gone. And they get to the other end, and Ziggy says to Richie, he's like, Hey, you need the fire thing. And when she looks at him, he goes, what? He goes, you know, you're so hot. You're on fire. 
And the guys behind are like, oh my God. You saying like a fire extinguisher, like you're red, like some you just got burnt. Oh shit. Like oh god. English language together. And I'm like, oh my God. So I'm at the front I'm gone. I'm at the other end. And then I just hear like, oh, and then the coaches go running. So instead of pivoting on the dot, like Richie moved himself in line to go against Ziggy. So Ziggy's got his head down with the puck. And the coach goes, tweet. And so instead of Richie pivoting on the dot, he just went full blow and hit Ziggy so hard. He went around the boards. He ended up behind the net. <laughs> like, like if you just dumped the puck in. Oh and then Al flipped out. He's like, what the fuck? But Ziggy just laid there. Like, he didn't fucking move. Yeah. The next morning, we had a, the team got a text or an email or a phone call, whatever, from his agent. He went home. Did he really? Yeah. He quit. He left the Islanders camp. He went home that year. That's the first year he was here. All because of that. Oh, God. Well, you know. But I, love, I love Ziggy, but I'm yep. just saying, Richie Pimon made him quit hockey. Yep. That, that, that's my definition of it. Like, he, 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 <laughs> he literally figured out a way to make him quit. That's unreal. I mean, listen, Richie, I mean, Islander fans know Richie had some wars with, with every, like the Lindros stuff. And, I mean, he went after anyone. And if he could crush a guy, he's going to crush a guy. And I guess Ziggy just learned it the hard way. Well, and I think that's the other thing. Like he's Richie was very sensitive to like Al and coaching, and um, you know, like the, the big thing, Joe. Like I, I couldn't. I use that uh, tachometer, you know, over ten, fifteen grand, you know, rev limit or whatever. Like he wouldn't have a beer the next for the game. Yeah, he wouldn't have a glass of wine. Mm-hmm. And then you know, ten years later, he's like, hey. We're, you know, are we going out tonight? Like, so things change. Mm-hmm. He was a very loyal, very respectful, very committed teammate. Yeah. Uh, not, and I'm, I'm telling you, like, in there's like Derek King, uh, Pat Flatley, Rich Pilon, as far as that trio that I, you know, I, I think I could run to with anything. Nice. Gordon, Gordon was there early, but then he left. Mm-hmm. Um, Travis Green, Scott Lachance, Marty McGinnis, those guys were there later. But obviously that was different. Yeah. You know, like lots of good guys. Mm -hmm. So, well, I'm glad you're still close with Richie because I never really got to know him too well. And then maybe at some point you could put in a good word for me so I can have him on the show. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's head coach of the Wayburn Red Wings this year in the, uh, of the West, um, SAJHL. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'll put a great word in. Well, thank you very much. So speaking of Richie, let's fast forward to the playoffs now. So obviously the big thing in this season's playoffs, first of all, by the way, I just want to point something out to people. uh, And I do this generally with every interview at some point. For people who think you're one-dimensional or you're this, you're that, in that playoff year, you played 15 games. Okay, so one-dimensional players don't play 15 playoff games. So I just want to bring that up, okay? You played 15 playoff games. 
against Washington, Pittsburgh, and uh, Montreal you played that year. So that's saying something. So I always like to give you guys credit for doing more than just fighting and everything. And one-dimensional goons don't play 15 playoff games in the NHL in any season. So I just wanted to point that out. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah. I'll, deb- I'll debunk that for you whenever you're ready. But... Okay. Well, let's – all right. Well, you want to talk about the Hunter and Turgeon thing first, or do you want to debunk it first? Well, we can do the Hunter Turgeon thing first, like that. Okay, that so sound, I was relevant. I felt I was relevant. Okay, so take me through the incident. So Turgeon scores, Hunter just crushes him. You're not on the ice. Correct. Where were you? On the bench. Okay, and what is what? I know it's chaos in the building. What's happening on the bench? Well, I, I think on the bench, you're just trying to, feel, first of all, Al's like reeling you in. Like he knows, it's one of my favorite things about Al. Like he, he's probably more livid than all of us. Like yeah. he's, I mean, I, I learned this from, you know, like the, the Ranger series where every time he lets you go, <laughs> it ends up biting him in the ass. So he's like more, more like, I'm just going to get, get a hold of everybody. He knows, like we love each other. So. Yeah. Like, what I always loved about Al is that he wanted you to play for each other. So he knows now. Like, if you watch that clip um, of the of the hit, you watch Richie Pilon come in there. He's probably two and a half, three feet off the ice. Yeah. Like, Richie Pilon is, like, flying through the air. Yes. Like, he, got, he really, he's just, he sees nothing but Dale Hunter. He just doesn't know how to get there, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he's... I'm going airborne. I'm ready, um, and I'm sure Al, I'm sure Al's feeling that on the bench. Like that's, you know, he's got guys that are are nuts and going to do that. And then you know, you know, we go back to Gary Howitt, Bobby Nye, and Gordy Lane. Like, oh, not like you're not just Clarky or you know, like you had, he he had always had guys that would are willing to do what needs to be done. Um, and so that incident, uh, it happened so fast. And then it's like, he's just trying to keep everybody because we, we just want a series. Right. Yeah. And then we don't even know how bad Turge is. Yeah. So you, it's all this stuff that you're processing and he's keeping, you know, captain of the ship, he's keeping everybody together. But then we get in the locker room at the end of the game and Richie's like, Turge hurt man, dude, kid's done. Like he might be done. And I'm like, well, we're going to get him. Like, we're going to get him. And Richie's like, yeah, what do you want to do? And I'm like, let me go in the stick room. I'll go in the stick room. And then when they walk by, obviously, you remember the, the Coliseum, the way it worked. The locker rooms are at opposite ends. Yep. They have to walk by our locker room to get to the hallway. Well, at least I thought that was the only way. Um, that was the usual the way. way. they went. And so I was like, yeah, they're going to come by here and I'll, I'll go in the stick room. And she's like, perfect. I'll come out of the, the, the stitch room, basically is what we called it. Mm-hmm. It was like this little room where um, the, you'd get stitched up. It was at the back of our locker room. Um, and she's like, I'll come out of the stitch room and then I'll create a disturbance and he'll turn around. And then you just come out and mow them, like mow them down. And I'm like, I'm in. Yeah. Like literally. So I'm in the stick room. The trainer's like, like, what are you looking? I'm like, ah, just checking, make sure I got enough sticks for the next round. And 
they're like, dude, you have two dozen sticks. I'm like, would you relax? And then they're getting nervous, so they're talking to assistant coaches who probably talked to Al. Next thing I know, Al's standing in the room. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm checking on my sticks. What? Al, you might not play another fucking shift. Why do you need sticks? I'm like, well, just in case, coach. Like, why? He goes, you think I'm not fucking stupid? I'm like, what? No, I don't, never, no. He goes, let me guess. If I go down the hallway and open that fucking trainer's room up, am I going to find that dumb Indian friend of yours? And I'm like, um, Chanel? <laughs> he goes, shut the fuck, shut the fuck. Listen, that's enough, all right? Get in there, get showered, and go to the F home. And I'm like, I right, mean, that's it. Now you're done, right? I'll talk. Yeah. Oh, you are out. I knock on the back door of the uh, the the surgery, like the trainer's room where you get stitched. Mm-hmm. And she's still standing there. I'm like, Rich, what? He's like, what? What are you doing? I go, dude, they went out the other way. This is like 30 minutes ago. Like everybody's <laughs> left. Yeah. Jesus Christ. I'm like, when the fuck is this going to happen? I'm like, what am I doing? Am I in the right place? Like, what's going on? <laughs> but, like, yeah, we were that, we were that stupid that we were yeah i mean i i absolutely if they, dale hunter walked down that hallway rich peon would have walked out of that room created a disturbance and i would have fucking stole back and said it i i would have i would hit anybody i probably would have hit our own security guards i might have hit his coach i don't care anybody i would have just kept swaying till uh yeah because we felt like it was i don't know you know you saw what happened with yep. patty Garden. Um, it was not like, like you take one of ours, we take one of yours. I don't know. Yeah. Hey, so, uh, yeah, I guess you know. At this point in my life, I should probably realize that that's not exactly the best mentality. But that's what. It- I, you know, at that point in my life, I mean, I was already a fan. That would have really just put you guys on the Mount Rushmore, as far as I'm concerned. If that would have happened. Yeah. So, you know, um, yeah. so I, and you can pick this up a criminal court and maybe bail this out. Yeah, for sure. I, I, no problem. No problem. <laughs> so, all right. So debunk my, uh, my pumping your tires of the 15 games played. Oh, so I think, um, this is like another Al thing. I think Al thought it was important that I was in the locker room. I really do. Like, I think he liked me enough. Because I, the, and the only game, like, if I don't have any regrets in my whole career, was game um, two in Montreal. Where, so we went from Pittsburgh right to Montreal, game one. I don't know if we lost in overtime, but we lost a close game. In game two, it wasn't close. I think it was a two or three goal lead. And he was just trying to rest everybody. And they played the shit out of me, and I was out of shape. Like, it's the first time in my career I was like, I mean, I, I get one shift a game, right? Like, I, I get one, I, I'm not in shape to play, but I should have been. That's not their job to get me in shape. That's my job. Right. And if I ever have a, a regret in my career, like, if I could have made a difference, like, even if I scored a goal to make it 3-2 or whatever in that game, Maybe that, like, mini inspire, that little burst 
gives us enough to steal a game in Montreal. And maybe we, you know, we find a way to win that series and go to the finals. Yeah. Um, I, I think like that, but that, that whole time, like against Washington, he played me because I had, you know, obviously the caps yeah. and, you know, there was something there. Um, Pittsburgh, I think he, he dressed me because we weren't expected to win. Right. Like, we were supposed to get swept. Mm-hmm. Right? Like that was, I think if you checked every newspaper in New York, it was like, yeah, without Tur- without with Turgeon, they might go five, six. Without Turgeon, they're, they're four and done. Yeah. And when we went through that series and we were up 3-1, I don't know how much time to go in game seven. And then they came back and tied it and we went into the locker room and it was just a shit show. Like guys were losing it. Like it's three, three, they're about, you know, and the whole place was rocking. Right. Oh yeah. And I don't know if I did, like if I kicked the table or if I just banged my stick or whatever, but I was like, are you guys fucking seriously? Like, and I'm talking to, uh, Turge only played power play stuff, but I'm talking to people I have mad respect for: Steve Thomas, Ben Mahog, uh, Pat Flatley, uh, Ray Ferraro, Glenn Healy, like uh, you know, Dennis Vasky, got Casper, Malakoff. Like I'm talking to all, Travis Green. I'm talking Fitzy. I'm talking to all these guys that I have m- much respect for, and they're like all like losing their shit. Scotland chance. And I'm like, are you telling me, like, before this series started without turn, if they said to us, let's just go to game seven and let's play in overtime and see who takes it, that we would be this fucking upset? And there was all this, like, crickets in the locker room, and guys were looking at me, and I, like, I was like, I'm just saying, like, wouldn't we be okay with this? Let's go out. It's overtime. One shot, one goal, done. Yeah. I mean, we're supposed to win a fucking game. And everything kind of reset. And Al Arbor walked through the room. He grabbed me by the hair. Like, (laughs) yeah. Like, didn't, you know, not much, but just enough to, like, be like, yeah, like, because I think the coaches can hear. Mm. And we went out and, you know, David Volek scored that goal. And then Al Arbor like grabbed me in the locker room afterwards, and he goes, "That's why." And I was like, "What?" Like he goes, "That's why you're, you're you're this team. This is why you're here." I was like, "I suck so bad, I can't play, but I can sit in the room and talk." <laughs> I said, "But yeah, like that. Uh, that's how. That's honestly like that's how he made me feel. Like he was, I was important." All right. So. Let me ask you this though: If let's say you're scratched and you're right. in the room, and that same thing's happening, you could yeah. have still said the same thing. I but wouldn't even. I wouldn't even go in the room. If you were scratched, absolutely. Stand in the hallway. I would never even walk in that room. All right. Yeah. I mean, you got to be. You got to be a captain, like you know, like an integral part. Like you, it, when you, when you're a scratch and you don't play, dude, you're in the hallway. You don't even. I don't want to. Buy, what? No, there's guys in that room that I got to take their job. All right. So. All right. So you debunked me then, but I still think. 
not to debunk you. I just think I'll, I'll, you know, he kept me in that lineup because, you know, there's a lot more, Joe, like maybe work ethic and practice. Exactly. Yep. Raw, raw, raw cheerleader guy. But like that moment in that game was literally like all my guys, like all these guys that I have much respect for that are way, um, way better hockey players and, 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 you know, better leaders and, and proven, um, you know, NHL high, high caliber, some all-stars. It just helped that, I don't know, like my perspective sometimes is just like, well, fuck this, you know, like if, if this is where we were at the beginning of the series, would you just say, yeehaw, let's go. Of course. Right. Yeah. But that's not what was going on. We were in Pittsburgh. The whole building was caving in on your head. Mario Lemieux, um, you know, that's also the game. And I'll always say this, and I don't mind saying this. Like Kevin Stevens, whom I, I, I have a lot of respect for, she got, should have got a charging penalty. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like you know, unfortunately... His face collided with Richie's visor, mm-hmm. and, and it, it it changed his whole life, and that's horrible. And I, you know, I think that's horrible. Yes. But I've watched that hit, I don't know, hundred times. He's lucky. Richie's lucky he caught him in the corner of his eye because he would have been fucking. He he'd have got hurt. Well, and for years it was Pilon's hit on Stevens. Pilon's hit on Stevens, and I would say, no, that's not what happened. That's not what happened. He touched the puck. And knew that Kevin was running in and then just braced himself. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, it's, it, it, it's, it's mindless to talk about it. Yeah. It, yeah. No, he, he, he's lucky. He's like, if Richie, what, if Richie didn't touch that puck and have spidey senses, he could have really got hurt. Oh yeah. So, all right. So Richie really did get hurt in life. Like I was on the ice against Detroit when uh, Brent Fedick, you know, the puck deflected. It was my D. I went out to my defenseman, right, mm-hmm. to, you know, harass him. He took a slap shot, went by me, and Brent Fedick, who played for Detroit, yep. deflected the puck into Richie's eye. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, I mean, he's one of my best friends. At that time, then, I'm like, they're like, he'll never play hockey again. Yeah, it's ter- that was terrible. And, you know, so I, I remember listening to Coach Don Cherry talk on TV. He's like, Richie Pilon, he wears this visor. I was like, dude, the kid has one eye. Yeah. He can see. I don't. He has another eye, but he has no vision in the center of it. Like, it's just a big blur. Right. He can see peripher, peripheral-wise, but not center-wise. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Uh, so I'm driving. Driving your bus all over the place. No, right? it's dude. Listen, this is what I said to you that you you say, oh, I go on all, I go off on all these tangents, and I'm cool with it, and I'm sure everyone listening is cool with it, because these are stories that no one's heard before, and they're all they're all cool. Like I don't I don't really want to hear about Jan Kaminsky, but if you have a Richie Pilon story, I'm good with that. You know, so um, so um, tell me the story that you told um that you told on um. MSG when you had the uh, uh, two on the aisle with Darius where um, it was against Philadelphia and I think you had asked Darius to kind of leave Dave Brown alone. 
Yeah, so it was, I think we played in Jersey the night before, and I might have fought Alan Stewart. Um, and just something with my hands, like, you know, you, whatever, you get mixed, you get banged up, you, you get a little raw. And so, like, my explanation, so you got a couple, back then, Joe, you get beers on the bus. Yeah. At least I did. I mean, <laughs> so the trainers would always put, like, a couple milk crates in the back, you know, with Bud Lights or whatever the beverage of the choice was back then. And then, you know, you talk to Casper and you, you pull him aside. You're like, hey, we're playing Philly tomorrow. And he's like, yeah, you know, uh, Lindros. And I'm like, yeah, focus on Lindros. That's awesome. I go, uh, you know, Dave Brown um, is probably only going to get one shift. Um, maybe just, you know, you know, nothing. To and he just like looks at me. And I'm like, no, I'm just saying, like, there's no need to wake Dave Brown up because if you wake him up, I might have to fight him. And I don't mind fighting him, but, like, I, you know, I don't know. And so he just, again, like, looks at me and he's like, okay. And then he walks away and I don't know. I don't know what was accomplished till the next. And literally, Dave Brown's one shift in the first period is in front of our bench and Casper hip checks him. Dave Brown's feet go flying by the bench, upside down. <laughs> I'm like, you got, uh, I, like, I don't even know who to talk to. Trainers are over there, and they're pretending to do something. Everybody knows. Yeah. Like, what the, f like, you just don't do this. Um, I ended up, I think, having, like, a, t a wrestle match with Brownie, not a very good fight. And <clears throat> after the game, I'm like, Casper, what the fuck? And he goes, you do not tell me who to hit. Just like that. I didn't tell you not to hit him. Yeah. I'm like, fine. Like, is that? He's like, listen, I hit who I want. Okay? You hit who you want. I hit who I want. That's hockey. Yeah. And that was, like, that was Casper's conversation. Like, he just, that was his mentality. Mm -hmm. And I knew Joe, like, at a time, like, you know, he's Lithuanian. Right? He's not Russian. So he's got this chip on his shoulder to begin with. Because the Russians, you know, look at Casper as a little bit different. Yeah. And he's carried this his whole life. And explains a lot about him. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. And I, 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 I understood it. I remember, like, sitting there bullshitting with him and, and Vladimir Malakoff one time. And I'm like, so Vladdy's a ma he was a captain or a major in the Red Army. And then Casper was KGB. I'm like, so who outranks? And you literally thought I would have said, like, one of your countries is about to take the other over. Like, <laughs> so much, like, tension on the bus. I was like, listen, I'm going to get another beer. I don't know what that like there's so much and Casper said something and Vladdy like said something and there was nothing I was legible mm -hmm. I was just like holy crap I don't even want to know yeah. I just walk like it just it, it yeah it's like a whole different world his um his answer to you this time uh on the two on the aisle thing was priceless when uh when you basically said, you know, I asked you to kind of leave him alone and he looked at you and he goes you don't tell star players what to do I almost pissed myself I know, and it's funny that you said you. I remember you sending me that message, and 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 I don't remember hearing that out of his mouth because I just laughed because yeah. he was never a star player. Right, <laughs> that's but, the joke. Uh, <laughs> right, no, but he was 
I mean, the, that series with Pittsburgh. Um, yeah, he that like that was the that was one of the funnest teams that I I played with. Like, yeah. um, and and Casper was a part of it. Like, it was, yeah, you know. Well, if if I had to list, and I've never done this, but let's say I had to list my top fifty Islander players, there's probably going to be a bunch of guys from out west, rest of them from different parts of Canada. Some the only two people that will not be from North America will be Bob Nystrom and yep. Darius Kasparaitis because that kid, I mean, he, I mean, he made me smile. Like I always say on a shift by shift basis, Kevin Kaminsky is probably my favorite player because as soon as he jumped on the ice, you knew something was going to happen. And I got the same feeling when Darius jumped on the ice, like, Oh, who's he going after now? And you, and it was always like, okay, so, when I'm watching the game, when you got on the ice, I'm looking to see who's on the ice from the other team. Is it, you know, Baruby on the ice or Domi or anybody? When Casper got on the ice, I'm like, oh, God, who's out there? Is it Lemieux? Is it Lindros? Is it Gretzky? Because you know his eyes just got big, and he was going to go after those guys. And he was so much fun to watch. Yeah. No, he was. He, he was. And, and I mean, if you saw that. I mean, the interview at the garden, or what, what for MSG, but like that was like impromptu. We were supposed to go get interviewed together, and when we got there, they're like, hey, you know what? We got a different idea. You just interviewed Darius. Like, they handed me the mic. Mm-hmm. I was like, fine. Like, and I was like, Casper, like, why would you do that? Like, why would you do And he's just like so honest. Yeah. But he, it, you see the purity in his face, like the way he uh, feels. Like that's what he was like to play with. Like he, he you know what I mean? He, like mm-hmm. so, think about me putting shaving cream in his shoes or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like it, like it's all fun, but the reality is he's like, it, he, you know, he's going to come get you. Yeah, I think I I can't remember. I chased him around practice. I think he blew me up in a in a one on one drill, and there was blood coming in on my nose, and uh, Al Arbor like lost it. Because I think he thought of us as similar. Like, I was important. Darius was important. Yeah. But I was going to kill him. Like, <laughs> and Al wasn't going to let it happen. But, um, yeah, in reality, is I would never kill him. I would never, obviously. But, yeah, Darius brought out, he brought out, I think that's in life. Like, when you have people that are, are um, competitive or make you better at what you do, yeah. You're going to have conflict. That seems normal to me. Yeah. So um, you don't have to go into detail if you don't want to, but since I have you here and you mentioned him, one of the probably if I had to make a list of the five most frustrating Islanders in my whole career as a fan, career, you know what I mean, fandom, Vladimir Malikov frustrated me beyond belief because, first of all, the guy is in the, the sickest shape I have ever seen in my life. And I think he was actually touched by God in terms of talent. And he just drove me crazy because I thought he was lazy. And I thought he was, I thought he could have been up for the Nars trophy every year if he really wanted it. Yeah. I think a lot of people felt that way, Joe. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think, I don't know. Like, here's my, my thing about big, tall, long, guys is they seem lazy sometimes Mm -hmm. now it would be completely disrespectful for me to say to you 
did uh, Vladimir Melikov underachieve? Um, probably. Probably. I mean, the guy had the fucking hardest slap shot I've ever seen. Uh, the couple fights I saw him in, w- w- I mean, including Joe Kosher. Yeah, mm-hmm. in the preseason. Yep. Yeah. I was like, holy shit. But he was so strong. Um, and then one of my, I'm friends with Bob Sweeney. And one of the things I always say is, like, don't make me, you know, Bob Sweeney you. Like, <laughs> beat the fuck out of Sweeney twice. Twice. Not once. Twice. Um, and so there's so many things about Vladdy that I, but you know what? Like, some people, like, so Vladdy was driven to be a professional. Right? Like, that was his thing. He was professional. Very little passion about the game. Okay. Which I, I, I don't think that makes him a bad person. No. No. Because we, we were in that Pittsburgh series. He was passionate. Mm-hmm. But if you're expecting him to do something more along the way, maybe that's why he was never an alternate or a captain. He's probably not on his list of you know, top ten things to do. Yeah. I remember when he was, I guess, conditioning with uh, Capital District, because obviously he wasn't getting sent down for any other reason. And I remember I went to a game in New Haven, and uh, Dean was playing there. And Malikov just, he just, like, took this shot from the red line that looked like it had no effort. It looked like it went about 150 miles an hour, and I think he went top shelf. And I remember Dean skating by me because I was towards the front row, and his eyes were just like, what the fuck did I just see? Like, the guy was just so talented. It was insane. No, it was, it was like, I talked to him after the kosher fight, and I'm like, dude, you know, like, that guy breaks orbital bones? Yeah. You know, like, he breaks chopsticks to eat? And Vladdy's just like, he's not, he's strong. He's not that strong. I was like, no, I know not for you. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. I have a soft spot for Vladdy. So his nickname was Wova. And I call, I still like keep in touch with him on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's scouting for the Islanders. I was like, huh? But I, he, he knows. Like, I, I think he's. You know, the funny thing, I think I told you this story, too. Like, him and Casper consider Americans or North Americans, like, the worst, uh, the, the most tasteless in, in style. Is that right? No, you never told me this. Oh, absolutely. Oh, my God. So, Philly, right? Boys, right? Boys will leave those gift certificates mm-hmm. under under your door when we checked in to the Sheridan. Mm-hmm. Boy, boys of, uh, I think it's Boys of Philadelphia. And you would check in your hotel, and they would give you a thousand dollar gift certificate. Is that right? If you spent a thousand dollars. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, we're in Philly. Not much else going on. I mean, I went to the Black Panther once, and I'm like, not in there again. Like that. <laughs> and they're not even naked. I'm like, don't do that. And so we'd get in, and we would get everybody together, and we'd go to. Uh, uh, I want to say it was Boyd's of Philadelphia or whatever. It was like a, a, a soup store, clothing store. Mm-hmm. And long story short, like they, we would go in at five o'clock. So they were closed and they would serve us alcohol. 
and we would just, you know, try on different suits. And so you get a thousand dollar gift certificate. You spend a grand, maybe spend two. They deliver everything to the, like everything stays there. Yeah. Deliver everything to the, the Sheridan the next morning. It's hanging in your, you know, you go to morning skate, you come back, you have all these fresh suits and it's just, it was really like a wicked cool experience. Nice. Except Vladimir and Casper are like, Hugo Boss, you are, <laughs> you are American pigs. <laughs> what? They're like, we only wear Versace. Versace. Fuck, it's like $3,000 for a shirt. They're like, it's worth it. I'm like, you know, Drago, I, I think you should die today. Like, that, that's just, and then we'd have like this big scrum on the bus on the way to Philly. Like, it was like Rich Pino. I was like, what did he say? I was like, they said we're cheap. We spent fucking, you know, $2,000 on three Hugo Bosses. And they said Hugo sucks. She's like, who are the captain? I'm going to fuck him up. Like, it, <laughs> like that, the, the, you could feel it. Like, you could feel that they, they honestly felt we weren't as uh, educated fashion-wise. Um, I tell you, I, I really miss Darius. I, I miss his personality. I, I tell you, but uh, that's why whenever they, whenever they go in between periods in the games and they say it's going to be you and him, I'm like, oh, I'm not going anywhere. I'm, I'm going to sit here and watch it because you two guys together are hysterical. I do. I really do like Casper. I mean, I think I, I think he hates me. I, I cut his shoes in half. I, I did a lot of stuff to him, but I do. I love him, and yeah. and I, I never took him for granted as a teammate because. Yeah. Him. So. One thing you said um, earlier was that you never really paid attention to stats. Um, but going into the following season, did you know that you were close to uh, becoming the all-time penalty minute leader? You know, and I, again, you never took it for granted that you were making the team. But under the assumption that you were going to make the team, you were within reach of the all-time penalty minute, Islander all-time penalty minute record. Did you? Were you aware of that? No. I had no idea until... Uh... The night it happened, and then Gary Howitt came in the locker room and grabbed my hand. And I'd all—I'd known Howie for a couple of years, and he grabbed my hand. I swear, Joe, he wanted to fight me right there. Is that right? Yeah, because I think when Howie had it, did they count pens? Um, no, I don't think so. Well, yeah, well, I don't know actually. I don't know. I don't think so, because I'm pretty sure Howie said to me. I mean, I didn't even know, right? Like, yeah. I think one a game, and how, and I, I knew again, I knew Howie, but Howie came and he like grabbed my hand. She goes, just so you know, we didn't count tens. <laughs> well, I'll take uh, his word for it. I don't want him mad at me. Yeah, no, no, I don't want him mad at me either. Yeah. Arizona, so we should be okay. Oh, good, but, okay. Um, yeah, and I agree. Yeah, no, you didn't count tens. Great, I get it. I mean, I didn't make the rules. <laughs> yeah. No, I think Howie wanted to fight me right there. I really do. And and I don't know how much significance you hold hold into it. And I know I've said this to you before, where whether you take pride in, in the number, knowing that you're the all-time penalty minute leader or not, uh, one thing that it does show is that you had longevity with the club. And for, like I said, for a guy who, you know, who knew where your career was going to be when you were 16 years old, uh, the Islanders, you know, even though the last 
few years, let's say, haven't been great. They're still a pretty prestigious organization with a lot of tough players in history. And you're at the top of the list. So whether you take pride in the number or not, you should at least take pride in the fact that you had the longevity with the team. I do. I do. And you're right, Joe. Like that, that's, the, that's the correlation for me. I mean, it's not the PIMS, um, which is nice, you know, like, it, it, you know in regards to relative to what I did, yeah. but you're right. It's the longevity. It's like I played for a team almost, you know, a decade when I was undrafted and every training camp I went to, you know, there was a lot of transition over that 10 years. Um, other guys were brought in and I somehow managed to, um, stay there. And I think a lot of it has to do with me wanting, like I really wanted to stay there. I mean, think about a lot of the guys that came and went through through that time. Um, you can argue that they're tougher, better fighters, better players, whatever you want to say about them. I just didn't want to leave Long Island. I guess that would be part of it, is I took uh, team, no, not necessarily team-friendly deals. I just didn't test the free agent market because I wanted to say, my, at the time, my wife was going to law school. We love, she went to Hofstra. That's where we met. We love Long Island. Like it, th there was like this whole, um, there was more than just playing for the Islanders, I guess is, is the perspective I'm trying to, yeah. uh, justify. Mm -hmm. No, um, no, like I said, I always, uh, you know, like it's just basically what I said is, you know, the fact that you said it perfectly, you were never drafted and now you're, you know, I'm sure that you wouldn't mind being on top of the points list, but, uh, you're on top of the list. You have a lot of games and. And I think you and Richie have a similar number of games played total, and I think you just tower over his penalty minutes. So, Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's funny. So when I um, left and Richie was still on the Islanders before he left, I was like, I think I, I – well, first of all, I was like, you're still playing from Melbourne. you got to be out of your mind. <laughs> and the second part was like, he's like, well, i got to break your penalty minute record. And I'm like, Chief, I'm going to leave right now. And come kick the fuck out of you. <laughs> but, well, by the time you get here, <laughs> I've broken the record. Like, it was just, um, he knew, like, I, well, first of all, nobody else will break that, right? Like, it's just because of the game. Yeah, never. Um, so, yeah, it's something nice. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. But it, it's, it's more about a validation of the tenure than it is about the, you know, the activity. Yeah. Um, Even though that was fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so um, I think it was, I don't know if it was the next game after that or it was one of the next games after that. You're, uh, you got suspended 10 games. Uh, they said you left the bench uh, fight against New Jersey. Do you remember that? I do. It was a bad decision. Go on. Well, it was a line change. And some, I don't want to say who, somebody stepped off the ice that shouldn't have. And then, so I stepped on. And then for whatever reason, I think I thought if I didn't create like a bunch of, if I didn't just like brawl and, and I think I was tied up with Scott Stevens, whom I, I've always liked. And yeah. I, was, I think if I, if I just didn't like start throwing with Scott, I thought maybe my suspension would be less. But the reality is if you step off the bench, um, it's automatic 10 games. Yeah. 
And Al Arbor got, I think, three games. Yeah, the coach always gets something. Yeah. So that was probably the most embarrassing thing for me. While you were suspended, uh, you it opened the door for um, a guy who paid certainly paid his dues in the minors. Uh, Jason Simon was called up in your absence. And um, word had it that you had worked with him uh, after practice and things like that. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, you try to... You want everybody to succeed, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I didn't. I just didn't know, like, when you're suspended, if you're allowed to do, not if you're allowed to help guys with that, but if you're allowed to be around during practice and things like that. So I always wondered how accurate that was. Yeah, no. So um, I can't practice. I can't uh, play, and I was getting sent to the American League for conditioning, but I was there the day Jason arrived, and they, I think, we were playing Calgary. So yeah. I was Sandy McCarthy, and I just get, I was like, hey, you know, like I, mean, I watch video, that's all we do. I don't know, I hadn't fought Paul Cruz, yeah, fought Sandy. Um, so you just try to give the, give the guy a heads up, yeah. I mean, I did, I did a lot of the same with Webby. I, I would say, like, Steve Webb is one of my favorite people, mm-hmm. where like he literally wanted to, 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 I don't know. I love the way Webby played, dude. He was so explosive. I feel bad that he was the size he was. Yeah. Um, just because he didn't have the reach. Right. But I love the way Steve Webb played. He's 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 probably one of my most underrated um, favorite Islanders. Yeah. No, he. I mean, the fans love him. He's, you know, he's another guy. I think we'll we'll touch on him in a little bit. Um, when you came back, you scored a. I, it was. I, and I even made a note of this, a sweet backhand against Darren Poopa of Tampa. And I believe that was the debut of the Stir Crazy Shuffle. I mean, what is it? What's the Stir Crazy Shuffle? It was your little dance that you did, uh, you know, after your goal. I have no idea. I have no idea. I think they called it the Stir Crazy. I think Flats called it the Stir Crazy Shuffle. Well, he's from Eastern Ontario. So uh. they have radioactive fish and shit that he doesn't even know what he's saying. Oh, okay. All right. So now. I, I don't know what it is. It sounds fun, though. It's like you just dance and like it almost looks like you're riding a bicycle on the ice with your hands in the air and, you know, you're just excited, you know. You had to uh, just beat Darren Poopa. How many times has that happened? Well, you told me 14. <laughs> well, in my career. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I had a shuffle for 14. All right. Uh, so now we're going to get down to uh, Rob Ray. So this season, you come back from the suspension. Your first fight back is uh, Rob Ray at the uh, the odd. Your second fight back is Rob Ray at the Coliseum. Now, in March of that year, and uh, humor me here. I made a long note here. So this was one of the funniest things that I can remember between the two of you. Uh, You tried to fight him at the odd, and he declined. So... The next time you guys line up, do you remember when you stepped on his blade and you broke it? Yeah. Um, this was the game that it's, I guess he chirped it out and you lost your mind on the bench. Do you remember that? Well, yeah, I do. But I don't remember that's the same game. Like I remember doing, stepping on his blade at the Coliseum. And just so you know, like I've probably done that 50 times. I only like, saw it once. No, well, not to him. But okay. like, but like guys line up and they tap you, you know what I mean? Like they'll like tap your foot, like they want to go. Yeah. And you're like, um, you could just talk. 
right? You don't have to tap my foot. Right. But, like, think about before they were expensive sticks. I've done it in the men's league, like, 20 times. <laughs> standing there crying. He's like, my stick's like $275. And he's crying. You just, like, backhand him to the throat. And he's laying down. Yeah. And I'm like, like, you're a man down without a stick. Like, how the fuck do kids survive these days? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, yeah. No, I don't... I, the Al Arbor thing is really like a big deal, though. Yeah. Go on. Is that what you want to hear? Or? Well, I'll tell you if you if you didn't listen to the episode I had with Dean, he meant he doesn't really care for Rob too much either, and he mentioned an incident down in Springfield when Ray was at Rochester and he chirped at Jimmy Roberts. And Dean basically said, he goes, "Look, the way that I was raised in hockey, you chirp. I'm a player. I chirp a player." Uh, Jimmy Roberts is a coach. He'll chirp a coach. He goes, you didn't cross that line. And he goes, Ray chirped Jimmy Roberts, and we lost our mind. And then I see this where he's chirping Al, who's ba- – I mean, listen, let's face it. Al's a legend. Whether you're an Islander fan or not, Al's a, Al's a god. And I remember him – they show – because when you guys are on the ice together, the cameras followed you guys a lot. And they showed him looking at Al and saying something, and I, I literally saw steam come out of your ears. So I was on the bench. Yes. When, when, and it was an offside faceoff in Buffalo. Uh, I, I, I'll never forget this day. Um, just because I was like, it, it never happened. I mean, we, I've played against so many guys, and, and there are a lot of guys dirtier than Rob Ray or you know, that I respect less than Rob Ray. But like, I'd never seen anybody look at, at the bench. I was on, on the bench. And there's guys lined up, right? We're lined up five on five for an offside face-off in front of our bench. And Rob Ray leans over and looks and goes, Al, why don't you pack it in? Oh, it, fuck. I swear to God. He goes, these guys don't want to play for you. Just pack it in. You're old. Oh, and, and I was like looking at the right winger. Right? Again, I'm not naming people. Mm-hmm. Standing next to him. And I just started screaming his name. And then Al grabs my jersey. He's like trying to get me to sit down. So I sit down because, you know, Al's got your jersey. And yeah. you just, in the minute he lets go of my jersey and walks out. Because I'm not the only guy getting uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. He goes down to the bench the other way. Finally, I just grab, it's right in front of our bench. I grab the kid's jersey. And I pull him to the bench. I'm like, Al said, change, change. And that's how I got on the ice. And that's me following Rob Ray up and down the ice. And I think it went like, he's laughing. He's like, what are you going to do? And I think I said, I'm just going to run your goalie. Like, I'll run your fucking goalie right now. Like, either fight me or I'm going to run your fucking goalie. And I'm like thinking, like, when I run his goalie, like, I'm going to kill. Like, the puck's in the other end. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to run your goalie with a fucking spear. And, and I'm going to start punching. Like, I'm going to rip his mask off. Like, I'll, unless you fight me. And that's why I got him to fight me. Like, I don't know. Yeah. It took, it felt like it took forever. Yeah. And then we went in the hallway and I was like, I could just, I couldn't, I couldn't calm down. Yeah. Nobody talk. Who, who the, f- I would never talk to another coach. Yeah. Like I would never say, and that, but let of, of all people you talk to. F- so where we are today in this day and time, like if Rob Ray and I bumped into each other, 
at 50 whatever years old, I think I'd still punch him in the fucking throat. I really do. Wow. If he extended his hand, I'd be like, after I punch you in the face. <laughs> well, and the cameras followed you guys in the hallway because there's actually footage of uh, of the two of you guys, of you trying to get at him in, in the hallway. So, uh, yeah. I, and that was just insane. I didn't know he I knew he said something, but I didn't know what he said. Oh, yeah. And it was like beyond, you know, it was like, so So it's like, I mean, like, do I like Tai Domi? No. But do I respect fighting Tai Domi and how Tai fought? Yeah, the kid is fucking tough. Like, I never hit a head harder than Tai's, yeah. ever. Right? Mm-hmm. So, and do I think it's funny that he's like, you know, this tough, he thinks, you know, like he's a heavyweight champ, blah, blah, blah. No, not really. But do I, I respect Tai. Like, yeah. he's and fought hard but Rob Ray no I got zero like I mean tripping tripping L Arbor you know four cups as a coach three as a player fuck you you know like wow yeah so that'll never fix itself so we're gonna move on to a guy who I know you like and your last fight of the regular season that year was against your friend and mine Mr. Brent Severn in Florida. Um, yeah. Earlier that year, he had an exchange with uh, Derek King. Was that uh, retribution for the uh, the fight with Derek King? Might have been. I don't know. But I yeah. think it was so funny about it. He was like, you see the guy just fought. Like, uh, uh, like the guy, you know, like, Semi's mad. I was like, Kinger? Like, Semi's a G. Honestly, like, the guy is, I mean, everybody's seen Semi semi-naked or yeah. whatever shirtless and he's completely ripped oh, right God, yeah and i mean somebody posted something the other day on twitter and i just laughed and i was like yeah well that's why you don't go out with semi i mean <laughs> let me go back to the hotel. semi's like yeah uh, where are you guys up to well like nothing he's <laughs> <laughs> probably going for a dairy queen <laughs> <they're> like, oh no <laughs> like, what do you mean we're in my yeah dude i'm not going out with you you yeah. know, people like the girls just rub their hands down your shirt. It's like <laughs> being in the same room. Like, no, he's he's frighteningly handsome and chiseled, so I don't blame you. Yeah, no, and he's a super super cool guy, super cool. And I hope he listens to this because I want him to. I want to. I wish I could see his face when he hears me call him frighteningly handsome. Yeah, get him on here. <laughs> oh, oh, he's he's already confirmed. Don't worry, for sure, absolutely. Tell him I said I'm not scared of him anymore. I will definitely. I'll text him once we get off the uh, line here for sure. I'm, I'm like that 53 year old guy that's like, you know, I got all kinds of. You're, yeah. on, the, you're on the island, so you're yeah, on the yeah. island. No one can get you without a boat. Yeah. Now, now I just do like you know leg lifts and. <laughs> I mean Tom Brady stuff, right? Like I'm just you know I'm just I'm long. You don't eat like Tom Brady, I bet. No, vegan. Whatever he eats, like kale, milk, and whatever. I don't know. He's a... oh, uh, um, ice cream. Uh, what is it? Uh, uh, I'm a, not a, I'm a whatever. It's some type of ice cream. Yeah, no, nah, I don't know. I, I hey, listen. I'm learning a lot about diet and nutrition. Uh, you get older, Joe. You I know. It's scary. I, I know. I know. I know. Until they make kale chocolate ice cream, I think I'm gonna. I'll probably hold out a little bit, but uh, yeah. This is avocado. That's what it is. I apologize. Oh, okay. This is avocado. Yeah. yeah. 
But he's huge here, obviously. Obviously. Second biggest celebrity next to you, I bet. Yeah, they go, when I go to Gillette, they're like, you must be Tom. No, you're Mick Fakoto. Oh, my God. Yep, exactly. (laughs) So one thing everyone remembers uh, about you from that playoff series was the incident with Jay Wells. Um, Did you snap? No, not at all. So what led up to that? So there's a little scrum in front of our bench. Um, Asa Tikkanen reaches through the pile with a stick and spears me. Um, I'll say this now, and nobody will believe it, but I'll tell you the truth. Mike Keenan should have been suspended for three games, and Jay Wells should have been suspended for ten. Because they did exactly what happened in Jersey, um, they came off the ice. They came on the ice after the whistle. Oh, I didn't know that. I don't know if it was Kevin Lowe. Whoever was on the ice went off. Maybe it was even Leachy. Might have been Brian. And Jay came on, and I didn't know who I was punching through yeah. the pile. I thought I was punching Asa, but it ended up being Jay. And I realized like he he got cut bad. But like that, that if you, if that video, if that clock, if that's ever available, somebody can look at that and they'll be like, "Really? Oh yeah, look at this! Look at this!" Like Asa starts this with this scrum and he's spearing people through the crowd, and I'm trying to get at him, and then all of a sudden Jay like does what he does is like defending a teammate. Yeah. He comes through the pile, but by now I, I might have lost it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I might have lost it. Like, I, I know the game was out of control and the series was going to end. So I'm not going to shake hands. Yeah. Um, you might be surprised to hear this, but I was not the biggest Esatikan in fan. So, um, you know, I'm not going to defend him on this one. I think he was a scumbag. Yeah. So. No, I'm a big Jay Wells fan. And, you know, I don't think that's a relationship that's repairable because, you know, I talked to Glenn Healy, um, you know, next year. Heels are like, dude. Like, you, his face, it, it was fucked up. Yeah. That's a lot of stitches to fix. Yeah. And the camera um, was right there. So, I mean, everyone saw the impact. I mean, those were, t- and it, it was like you hit him, and then you just saw him mouth, ow, ow. You know. Yeah, so. I don't know. It, it was like 10 in my knuckles. So, if there's any, you know, I, I mean, impact is impact. I yeah. don't know. Well, I'm pretty sure that most people that are probably listening to this would I think we can all universally agree that if we had our druthers, it would have been Tekken and you were punching and not Jay Wells. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think first one of my first fights, one of my first fight videos that I ever watched was Jay Wells in L.A. fighting Dave Brown in Philadelphia three times in one day. Yep. Oh yeah. And I was like, man, that kid's got balls like that. Jay Wells in in the reach. And he just hung in there three times. Yep. So I always respected Jay, and I feel bad that that happened. I think he was probably the first, if, if you go along with the whole veteran taking the young guy under their wing, he was probably Bomber's first mentor in L.A. That Bomber loved him. Yeah. Loves, still loves him. Yeah. Yep. Um, next season was uh, the lockout season. So, I mean, was it pretty much a foregone conclusion that the lockout was happening? And if so, how does how does training camp go about? Like, if you guys know you're going to do a training camp, but then you're not going to play. Yeah, I have no idea. 
I don't remember, honestly, Joe. Yeah. Like I, I think I always assumed that we were going to play, and then guys were telling me I was never involved with the union. Yeah. Uh, good friends with Bomber. Mm. Bomber is always like, save your money. I'm like, I'm going to the carousel. <laughs> save your money. I'm going to the carousel. Didn't you He's learn like, from Dale Henry? That no, I didn't. That was <laughs> uh, in Springfield. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I don't, no, right. no, right. no, no, I didn't learn. I never learned. Okay. All right. Well, I'm definitely not the right person to give financial advice, so. Yeah, no, I'm still, Um, but yeah, no, I had no idea about what our circumstance was going to be, and then I remember, like, there was a point where the union was, like, giving you, like, a $5,000 stipend, and uh, I told my ex-wife, I was like, they, they gave us a $5,000 stipend. She's like, awesome, like, you want to deposit it? I was like, I think I'm going to just run to Atlantic City real quick and see how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> it was literally like, I can't believe I'm still married. I came back like, I, you know, nothing, whatever. I don't know. Oh, my God. I know. <laughs> I, I was that kid. I just, I don't know. Like, well, no one, <laughs> no one will ever accuse you of not living life to the fullest that's for sure well i hope yeah yeah but i don't want to be that guy forever so all 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 fun and games so um this was the year that uh brett lindros was on the islanders and he seemed to be uh someone that you took a special liking to took him under your wing what kind of relationship did you have with brett um well i felt bad for brett because all the pressure of the pit and then Eric's brother, and then more so, you know. I, know, I guess is this where we segue to Mike? No, because this was still Don Maloney saying that they got the better Lindros. Sure, yeah. but it wasn't It wasn't until Mike showed up that the pressure for Brett, I feel, felt like he had to, like I think up until then, Brett was okay. Like he was just, you know, he's a big kid that could skate and, He's definitely not Eric, yeah. but he's still a good NHL player. Like he still had the potential to be a good NHL player. Mm-hmm. And I think until Mike got there, then everything changed. Like it was, you know, about how he was going to be, you know, how he's going to be used and how he's going to be marketed and, and, you know, yeah. so that's my theory. All right, so we'll segue, we'll hit on this when we talk about Mike. I'm going to give you two things about Brett that I think will make you laugh. So when Brett scored his first NHL goal, you were, like, ridiculously excited for the kid. And if I remember right, I don't know if it was you that told me or someone else, I think the guys in the team gave you, uh, razzed you a bit with how excited you got. They did. And, my, I mean, my helmet's off my freaking head. Like it's, And I was just happy for Brett. Yeah. Yeah. I was. And you went and got his puck and everything? Sure. It was like you – I remember the whole scene. It was like you're telling him, dude, come and get your puck. Yeah. No, he was just like hands up and he's like looking to hug me. And I'm like, no. And I, I don't know if I got ripped it out of it. But I think the goal even was like I just got, grabbed the puck. I'm like, dude, here's your puck. You, yeah, I was very excited. About it. And um, how did the uh, ESPN 8 Vagoda commercial come about? That fucking thing is still. You can still find that thing too. Apparently, somebody showed it. Well, I have it. I mean, if anyone wants to see it, just send yeah, me a message. Well, whatever. Delete <laughs> it. 
I know how. I think like that that was the other thing with Brett and I where we really got along well and he knew like I genuinely like like genuinely liked him but the 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 ad they're like all right so we're going to call you fish Abe Bacote. you think Brett Lindros knows who Abe Bacote is no way no so like I'm explaining to him it's like but so it's almost as frustrating so then it just kind of works up to like the ad where he's getting by he's like fish I'm like, dude, you don't even know who Fish is, <laughs> right? Like, that's how, so it worked itself out, but, um, yeah, yeah Brett, Brett's a real, I, I have fond memories of Brett and the way he played, and uh, I'll, I'll tell you this, um, I want to say it was in Buffalo, because Brett Hughes was on the bench, oh no, he hit Brett Hughes, Brett Hughes was in Buffalo, and uh, Brett came back to the bench, and he sat next to me, and I looked at him. And you know, like like ch- chows or some huskies have like this dilated pupil and this other pupil. Right? Brett Brett had like a pupil that was completely dilated, and the other one was like normal. And he I, he's like, I don't know. Like you, he he said to me, he's like, I don't know. I don't feel right. And I remember thinking, like, that was just a chest-on-chest hit. It was not a fight. It wasn't a headshot. It was just him and Brent Hughes collided. It was a good hit. Yeah. But, like, they just collided. I think Brent Hughes fell down. Mindy stayed on his feet. But I knew it. That was like, that kid's head is, that, that, that's, that's too much. Yeah. Too much. Yeah. Um. And I still feel, I, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, th- this is the stuff, you know, so that's, what, what was that, 1999? Was, no, it was uh, actually like 95, 96. No. Linda? Oh, well, when he first started, when oh, he was a rookie. Yeah, oh, no, yeah, yeah. 94, 95, he was a rookie. You're right, I got you. Yeah. Yeah, so 94, 95, yeah. So what is that, like 15, right, 15 years ago? Dude, that's 25 years ago. Well, 25 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So think about all the research that you know, and yeah. and how do you know how much is better and how much is not? Right. Right. Yeah. I mean that that that's you know like at the time they they started to treat concussions right? seriously, but you know like my kids went through the whole the whole experience of high school hockey where. You know, twenty-four hour protocol, and then reevaluation after a second concussion, whatever, blah blah blah. And then, but think about like that kid; his pupils were dilated or non-dilated, or whatever you want to call them. Yeah, that's uh, no, it's a shame. The way his career ended up is a shame. I mean, I I spoke to him a little bit when he played, and I met his dad. His dad always seemed like a really nice guy. I uh, I it seemed like uh, his dad was with him a lot. Where uh, I guess Bonnie was with Eric a lot of the time, but. Uh, I remember his dad being really, really nice and down to earth, and you know, Brett was a great kid. So it's unfortunate the way everything ended. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. No, and you want, you want, like, I guess I want, like, we talked about Duncan McPherson a bit, you know, yeah. like, you want, I at least would like people to be able to experience the successes of their uh, hard work, or you know, like, just to 
to experience like being successful. Um, and it feels like, like, well, not so much with Duncan because I think Duncan was, had, had a good shot at everything. Yeah. You know, I think with Brett, like, I think he, everything went south right away yeah. like, and because he was in the show. Like if you just left him in junior, right. For another year and then brought him up through the minors, maybe sent him down. I don't know. That's you possible. Know, like just give him a little space, but the kid, like you must have Paul Louse, Brett Lindros fights. Oh yeah. yeah. Like those fucking toe to toe fights. Yeah. And and now that you, you bring it up, like I think about it, like let's say you send them back to junior then the next year he plays in Utah. So now he's playing on a pretty good team in Utah with excellent coaching, excellent management. That probably would have served him a lot better than being under Mike. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Under under Mike was like, hey, you know, we're going, you know, we're playing in Florida. Don't let me down. Like, no. (laughs) And Paul House is like going after Lindy. And you're trying to get in there, but, you know, maybe Pete Worrell's out there or whatever. And and Lindy's like, no, I got this. Yeah. But Paul Laus is arguably, like, a wicked tough guy. Like, Paul Laus, Darren Langdon. There's, like, a whole level of guys that, you know, people don't consider heavyweights that mess people up. Laws is scary. Like Langdon, I don't. Langdon was not never scary because it didn't seem like he he didn't hit like laws, but he would fight you for five minutes, no problem. And he was never breathing heavy, and he'd hit you. Where laws was almost like he's going to hit you with an eighteen wheeler, right? You know. So yeah, I mean, I mean, Islander fans know all about Paul Laws. He, you know, he had a good series with Belanger, did you know, and uh, with Brett and everything. I mean, laws is yeah. he's a guy you feel good for because. He's another guy, you know, drafted by Pittsburgh, and then he ends up in Florida in the expansion draft. And he's he's like the Panthers' Ken Danico. I mean, honestly, if you think about it, he was there for so long, and you know, good guy and everything, tough guy, and he's the kind of guy you cheer for. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um. So let's get this out of the way. Uh, the next year is the year of the Fisherman jersey, which I loathe, and the team it seems like now is doing their best to remarket it to fans who didn't live through the atrocity that was the fisherman jersey so as a guy who when he first came in played with some legendary islanders and now years later you're staring at this thing what was your first impression of that jersey uh so i was embarrassed i mean completely embarrassed and and i i, th- I kind of thought like it was like a novelty like it was like what like we're gonna wear this Almost like a third jersey, which wasn't even a conversation back then. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you have that interview with Stan Dishler where he asked me about it. And uh, I, I go, listen, the only jersey I acknowledge is not my name, not this logo. It's the one hanging in the rafters. Yeah. So I walk out of the interview, you know, sports channel in the hallway, down the hallway from the locker room. And fucking Milbury's like, are you out of your mind? You can't say that. And it's just like an example of like, what do you mean? Yeah. Like you've been here fucking six weeks. Like, what do you mean I can't say that? Like Bobby Nice, all those guys, it's a logo hanging in the rafters. That's the fucking Islanders. Yeah. Right? 
I don't care if it's a fisherman or a fucking a, a fucking jet ski or a fucking wave runner, whatever you want to put on my jersey. That's the one I recognize. That's what these people recognize. Yep. Um, but yeah, I got yelled at. Uh, <laughs> I really don't. They just, it was the beginning of the end. Uh, yeah. You know, understanding the way. And then that, that, we could go through the Spano. We could we go through everything. Like, it, it's exhausting. Like, there was just no pride in, in the Islander organization. Um, in my opinion, since Al and um, and and Bill Tory, you know, yeah. were, and then I'm not, you know, blaming Mr. Wong or or like any of that stuff. It's just like it just never felt, um, you know, sincere. Yeah. Um, and it does now, if, if I say that. Like I really. That's the other thing. It does now, and a, a great appreciation and respect for what that ownership group is doing. Yeah. So we're gonna dive right in. So uh, Milbury is named head coach in uh, 1995. So initially, you know, what did you think of it? And before you know, anything, you know, you, you obviously knew about him as a player. Uh, you probably played against him when he coached Boston and everything. Did you have an initial feeling about what was going to, not what was going to happen, but what were, what were your thoughts? No, nothing. I was at that time, Joe, I was like, I was living year round on Long Island. Um, my wife at the time was going to Hofstra or maybe she was going to Toro Law. She was at Hofstra transitioning. So I was like committed to like the Islanders and, I loved, I, th- I think I was being the softball captain, which they're kings like, you're going to be the softball captain. <laughs> I was like, why? He's like, because you suck and nobody else wants to do it. I'm like, ah! <laughs> and, um, and I, I was staying on Long Island. Like, I, you know, I was going to live there for the majority of the off season. Um, and then they named Mike Milbury, uh, uh, I don't know, head coach, yeah, GM? Just coach, just coach at first. Uh, Maloney was still the GM. Donnie was still there. Yeah. So I remember this place in Westbury, old Westbury. And I remember Mike, you know, like in the summer and Mike Milbury saying, like, I plan on um, making this team a Stanley Cup contender in three years. And I want to say there was like me, maybe Scott Lachance. So there was like four players there. And but you know, obviously the media. And I remember, like, I, I literally believed him. Mm-hmm. We're going to be a Cup contender in three years. Oh, fuck. That's exciting, isn't it? Yeah. I, left. Yeah. I left Westbury. I'm like, oh, get home. I get to the gym. I got to get to work. Oh, I'm like, no. I'm like, oh, I'm in. I'm in. Oh. And then little by little, like, mm-hmm. he started to do his stuff. And, um, I don't have, like, I, I think about this Joe, like, you know, he's got kids and he's married and, and, and so I don't want to be like, uh, I, I can only talk about like examples of what he did. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I don't understand a lot of what he did. That would be the most honest way of explaining. All right. So let me feed you some questions that you don't, it, by answering them, you're not trashing him, you know, because I'm asking you basic questions and your answers will be enough without you, you know, opining about him. So, 
this was the season that I was very excited that the team signed Jim McKenzie. And I remember that there were two teams bidding for Jim McKenzie. It was the Islanders in Chicago. And the Islanders won, and he's coming to the Islanders, and he's going to play with you. Now, a Western League guy, a guy that you had fought before. So were you happy that they signed Jim? Did you, you know, obviously you guys, I'm sure, had spoken at some point. Um, were you happy about it, or were you? did you feel threatened? How did you take that acquisition? So, no, I'm happy. I love Jimmy yeah. Matt. Yeah. Right, like I was so excited, and and you know, you always realize when ever somebody comes in that does that job, that it could mean you know your demise. But I I never felt that. Like I didn't feel that way with Bomber. I don't. Yeah, you know, I didn't feel that way with Jimmy. You know, I was like, all right, you know, yeah, another guy. I mean, it's exhausting doing this shit all kind by yourself. So it's nice to have somebody. Yeah. Well, I remember when um, when Dean came here from Capital District to see the doctor, and he said he walked into the locker room that night, and he saw you, and you just said, oh, my God, thank God I have some help. And he's like, no, I'm not. I didn't get called up. I'm just here to see the doctor. But, like, I remember he said, wow, it made him feel pretty good that you thought he was going to be up there to, to play alongside you. So I, I get it. Yeah, and it's not like you always need help. It's just emotionally, sometimes mentally, you know, wow, wow, wow. It's nice to have a break. But um, you're talking about Jim McKenzie. Yeah. Like, that's a whole, you know, different level. Right. Uh, and you fought Jim McKenzie in training camp that year. I did. And, I I mean, I fought Jimmy probably three or four times. And don't do well against him just because of his size. And yeah. he throws, he's quick. He's not a heavy puncher, at least in my, you know, mm-hmm. uh, experience where he, he didn't, you know, he hits, but he doesn't hit hard. Um, so you could stand in there if you don't mind t- getting punched in the face 20 times, which apparently <laughs> I didn't mind doing, getting punched in the face 20 times. But I love Jimmy. He's one of my favorites. He's a, he's a wicked funny guy, too. So Yeah, no, I'm a huge fan. And, and fortunately, the only rule about this podcast is that you have to have some association with the Islanders. And by virtue of his signing a contract and having a training camp with them, he is a confirmed guest. So I'm actually very excited to, uh, to get him on the show at some point. So, uh, um, is it true that, uh, and now I've, I, I mean, I met Jimmy when he was with Hartford, uh, rookie season, everything. And the guy always seemed like he was in great shape. So is it true that in that training camp, Milbury made you and Jim McKenzie skate with weight vests on? Um, I don't know if he made us do that. I don't know. Okay. I'll tell you this. So that, well, if this is that camp in Kitchener or where we were in Ontario, yes, you have to run a certain distance in a certain amount of time. And I think Jimmy and I, and Jimmy might know better than I, I think we both failed. So we had to redo it. And he may have like asked them to put some type of weight. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I mean, the dude uh, out of his mind. I mean, I, 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 I <laughs> he was out of his mind. Uh, I uh, believe in that training camp, you also fought Mike McWilliam. I did. Do and you remember that? I do. I remember, remember fighting Jimmy Mack. I remember fighting Mike McWilliam. I remember fighting Barry Nykar. And then everybody that we played against in preseason. Like, it was... I... I I never anticipated, because I was, like, established. Like, yeah. I was a guy. 
And then I got to camp and I'm like, I'm not the guy. <laughs> like, look at all these guys. Yeah, there were a ton of guys at camp. And then that preseason, I have it li- this is what who I have you listed. You fought Rudy and Brant Myers with Tampa. You fought Mike Peluso. And with the Rangers, you fought Kiprios and Lacroix. Yeah. You must have felt like it was 1987 all over again. No, it was just that that was that that's that game. I mean, that, that the game against um, Tampa with Rudy and, and Myers. Yeah. Like that. That's the game where I was convinced that Mike Miller is a fucking psycho. Why was that? OK, so he comes in in the morning skate and you're in training camp. Right. So there's a group of guys that practice that are going to play. And then there's a group of guys that are going to practice that don't play. They're probably going to practice for an hour and 15 minutes, like then do off ice and they're just not dressing. So Mike walks in in the morning and explains to the group that's going to play, which is Jan Kaminsky, Marty McInnes, and Nick Dakota is the fourth line. And he goes, you know, I don't think I've really gotten a good look at, at the at the roster going with four lines. So I'm going to cut it down to three lines. But I want that fourth line available. Like, I'm literally, like, looking around, like, is this fucking, like, some episode of, like, what, what, is, what is he saying? So he goes, what we're going to do is, uh, Yan, Marty, and Mick, like, not the, not the third deep deep pairing right like just the fourth line not the backup goalie just the fourth line you're gonna practice with us like a morning skate then you're gonna practice with the guys that aren't playing but you're gonna be here and you're gonna be available for warm-up and marty mcginnis he's like what's he fucking saying i'm like i don't know mo shut your mouth We'll be here for a fucking while. I don't know. Let's just do this, right? And Marty's like, this is fucking insane. This is fucking insane. We don't even have clothes, right? We wore jeans because we were going home after the morning skate, and then we're going to eat and take a nap and put on our suit and come for the game. Right. So now we're skating with the group that's not playing, and then Mike's walking around and, now we're done skating, and, and Marty's like, what? I go, dude, like, let's just get food, all right? We'll call Little Vinny's or whatever. We bring in some pasta, we eat, and then I call my wife, and I'm like, bring me a suit. He calls his wife. Jan Kaminsky tells his wife to drop it off at my waist. We got suits. We're good, all right? We're done. So now it's game. We haven't gone home, right? We've yeah. been in the museum the whole fucking time. So now it's guys are coming back to the game and we're still sitting there. Hi. <laughs> How are you guys doing? What's going on? No naps. Uh, no no pregame naps. No nap. We ate what we could eat, but you don't want to eat much, right? right. So now everybody's coming back and we're just pretending to be a part of the, the lineup. So now we go out for a warm-up and then we come back for a warm-up and Mike goes, all right, so... What I'm going to do here with the fourth line is I want you guys, every time you think you're shifting, look up at the monitor. There's a little monitor in the corner. 
every time you think your line would go out, I want you to ride the bike. So the trainers bring in three stationary bikes in the locker room. I don't, so, even, I, I don't even know what to say to this right now. I'm just sitting there. I'm sitting there. They bring in three stationary bikes facing like the live feed monitor of the rink. And he goes, every time you guys think you're going to go out, like after the lo- third line, I want you to get on the bike and go hard for 45 seconds. <laughs> Marty McGinnis, uh, Jan Kaminsky doesn't even understand the fucking language. They're like just looking at each other. And then Mike walks out. Then he walks back in. He goes, "Oh, set Mick, you're gonna you're gonna take warm up. You're like you're going you're gonna start. Sorry, we've already done warm up." He goes, "You're gonna start with us." So now we get on the bench, and I'm sitting on the bench, and the second first shift, Rudy Poshek goes out. And he goes right side. So I'm like, ah, I'm not even supposed to play. <laughs> so I hop out. Next thing I know, I'm fighting Rudy, right? So a pretty good fight, I think. I go to the box. I come back. I get back on the bench. The very next shift, Brat Myers goes out. He's like, right side. Jeez. Fucking fight Brat Myers. I've had two fights in the first period. Honestly, I, I don't think I had a bowl of soup all day. I'm like, this is fucking insane, right? Yeah. I don't even know if it's legal. <laughs> so I get back to the bench. I'm like, I swear, I got like these little sparkles, like, in this in my eyes like i'm seeing like little flashies but it's not bad i'm like fine i could whatever he comes over taps me on the arm and he goes you got one more in for me for him yep and i looked at him and i go what he goes can you do one more for me and i just nodded like i want to say anything hey, you think this shit's about you you fucking idiot but yeah i could do one more I can do five more, whatever you want. Let's fucking slice the cards five ways and let's fucking go. I was like, that's the first time I realized that selfish fuck. He thought this shit was about him. And and that was it. And if you ask Marty and Jan, they were like, dude, they were sitting in the locker room riding a bike while I was out there fucking fighting. Mo's like, oh my God. Like, we haven't eaten and not for nothing. It wasn't that big a deal. Like, it's nice to eat, but, you know, when you're fighting, you figure it out. Yeah. I mean, it, and again, this is the point in your career. I mean, everyone's been through it. You have your routine. You do the morning skate. You grab a bite to eat. You take your nap. Maybe you have a small thing, small meal. So you're out of your routine. You didn't even go home. You did nothing. No. And, and again, in fairness, like, You'd be amazed. I always say you'd be amazed what you can do when you put your mind to it, right? So, like, I didn't have that choice. Yeah. In a position where I had to do this, which is fine, but it just says a lot about who he is, who he, who he was as a human being at that time. I mean, I really, I, I don't like him. Yeah. I, again, I play. Unfortunately, even like Terry Simpson, um, made you feel responsible to your team. Yeah. But Especially L. Arbor, like, um, you know, when you talk to Bobby Nystrom and 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 that whole, and Clarkie and and that era, it's like if you do, if you let your teammate down, that's like the biggest, you know, that you have to live with that. Yeah, well, we I... we fix that, right? 
So you always want to make sure that that's the, you know, and those things are going to happen from time to time, but you're always going to do your best to take care of your brothers. And, uh, Mike Milbury was like, and he, if you ever listen to him talk, Joe, he complains about this line change in Boston that cost him a Stanley cup ring. Oh, I've heard him say that before. Yeah, absolutely. I'm like, who else would throw other guys under the bus? <laughs> right. Oh man. But no, I would never do, I, I don't know anybody reputable that would sit there and blame a teammate for him not having a ring. Yeah. No, I, I mean. You don't think that guy feels bad? Like that guy doesn't know? Yeah, and he hears, and I'm sure he's heard it a thousand times. Yeah. Well, we're not done with Mike, but let me ask you. Um, that was the Kirk Muller season. Yeah. How much of a distraction was that situation? It was quite a bit. And it was like, you know, when Mully came, I I could tell he wasn't invested. And, and that whole year, I think Wendell was there, and Schneid's, Matthew Schneider was there, and it was a lot. But I'll tell you, a lot of that had to do with Mike. Yeah. I mean, it really had to do with, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you the Wendell Clark story where, you know, Bob Bob Sweeney is Bob Switzerland. And we, we were at Syosset. And Mike Milbury was going around the room picking, you know, like picking guys apart, you know, whatever. He's a coach and things aren't working out. And uh, he gets to Wendell Clark and he's just ripping Wendell. Unreal. That's ridiculous. He goes, I watch the way you come off the ice and you go to the corner of the bench. Do you even want to play? Do you even want to be on the ice? And I'm oh my God. First of all, like Wendell's, I played against him since I was 16 and he was the fiercest mother. Like I, I don't know, whatever. I got nothing to say. Then I'm playing in the show and the trainers are like, you know, Wendell doesn't leave. I'm like, we talking about like, dude, when you guys come for the morning skate, then we got chiropractors and we got a kid that does acupuncture. We got another guy that does like this elongating massage. Like Wendell, Getting ready for a hockey game takes eight hours. Oh, it's a commitment. And yet Mike Milbury fucking calling him out because the kid doesn't fucking go home. Yeah. Right? Like, I just explained to you that I didn't get to go home for a fucking preseason game. When, like, his whole day is planned to not go home. Wow. Like, crazy. And he's not charging the Islanders. Right. right. He's got his own fucking masseuse. He's got his own acupuncture. He pays just to get himself fucking ready. So he says that to Wendell and Wendell stands up and Wendell goes, you know, Mike, you think you're fucking God? You're not God, dude. Like, and, oh, I'm like, oh my God, here we go. We're inside a hospital. In a locker room, it's like a fucking fight. Bob Sweeney stand. Well, I don't know if we're going to accomplish anything. So I call him Bob Switzerland to this day. Ugh. Why would you stand up? Wendell Clark was about to fucking tune Mike Milbury's fucking nostrils with his ears. And and so it's like, do you really think that would have helped? Yes. Would have helped me. I, you, it would have helped people. Oh man, oh man. And actually I was gonna ask you about Wendell, because obviously I love Wendell Clark. I, I'm it's to me as a fan, it's like I'm honored that he was an Islander. It makes me sick that the only jersey he wore was the Fisherman. But having Wendell on the Islanders, you know, on the back of his hockey card, it says Islanders. 
is tremendous. And I remember one time I was talking to Carrie about it and I go, you don't really have to tell me anything, but was Wendell stay here short because of Millbury? He goes, of course it was. Oh, no. it was he, he would have, he, he, I think he wanted to and yeah. would have like stoked Mike. Yeah. I, my, Mike knew too. I think Mike knew too. Like he was just that that's just not nice. Yeah. Uh, you say something like that. And if you watch Wendell play his hockey career, yeah. how do you question his integrity? Like, that's oh. the... <laughs> it's crazy. It's. I mean, listen, he's going to question guys. But it'd be like, you know, like, the, you know, you're a Yankees fan, so you've heard all the stories about Mickey Mantle and guys saying, well, how could I complain about being injured or being banged up when you this guy's locker was near the exit and you see all the stuff he had to go through just to play. And, you know, Wendell Clark, the way he played, his body broke down and everything, and he was still out there, and he did everything. So for him, I mean, for him to rip Wendell, I mean, Sweeney, I always liked the guy, but now I'm, I I want to shake him and say, what the fuck? Well, I love Bob Sweeney. I still, I'm friends with him to this yeah. day, and I tell him all the time. I'm like, you will always be Bob. And he hates when I tell the story, because he just, <laughs> he's like, I know, I know. I go, would you want me to tell him the story where Vladimir Malakoff beats the fuck out of you twice? <laughs> He's like, no, I'll the Wendell. Now, was he, was he a Millbury guy because he was with him in Boston? Um, I don't think so because he came from Buffalo. Yeah. Bob, he came from Buffalo um, uh, at that time. Yeah. So, but no, he was probably a Millbury guy, but I don't think, I don't think, honestly, I don't think, Joe, honestly, nobody's a Melbury guy. Well, I don't maybe, know. maybe he just didn't want to see Wendell kill him. Yeah, I just think Swoop was like, he just was like, I don't think this is a good thing. Like a coach and a player fighting. I, I think that's how Swoop was. Yeah. Which is, in most environments, probably normal. Yeah. Except, yeah. Oh, like, let it go. Oh, let's see oh. what happens. Right? Wow. I mean, Sweeney just disappointed every listener to this show. I guarantee it. Well, I don't think he meant it. Like, <laughs> to keep the peace, but yeah, yeah that wasn't going to end well. Um, so this year, um, you had a fight with Jay Wells. He was now a blues player, and you had a fight with him. Um, I know you said that that's something that would probably, uh, you know, he probably wouldn't want to you know, be your friend or anything, but uh, was anything said on the ice before the fight or after the fight? Uh, not that I remember. I know Jay's pissed, yeah. obviously. Um, and I don't blame him. Yeah. You know, it, it, he took a lot of stitches from the back of a pile. But it's not like he was sucker punched or, you know, it's not like I hit him from behind. I just threw blind punches into a pile aiming for Asa. And uh, yeah. his face happened to be there. Um, and like I said, he came off the bench, so he wasn't there when it started, but. Okay. So one of the things we touched on already are some of the fan interactions you had with other the other team's fans. So we're going to, I know uh, the season before, I think I wrote a note, but I didn't ask you about it. When you had fought Kimby in Chicago, and uh, I don't know if a guy was giving you a hard time and you slammed your helmet in the uh, on the glass. And I read your lips, and I think you told him to fucking sit down. Do you remember that? Yeah, was it Kimby or Grimmer? I think it was after you fought Kimby. Okay. 
and uh, and you went to the box, and I, I guess the guy was giving you a hard time. I don't remember it. I just remember seeing it on uh, on like a video or something. Okay. Yeah. So all right. So this season in Hartford, you had a fight with Mark Jansons, and yeah. there were guys next to you in the penalty box. Well, you're in the penalty box. I knocked you know, the over. You well, you guys were talking the whole time, and then next thing you know, you you get your arm out. I guess there was space in between the uh, the glass there, and it looked like you were going out there to knock his beer or something over. So, do you remember anything about that? I do. I don't know if I was trying to knock his beer over or grab his beer, but yeah. I do. I remember that, like chuckling, and Hartford had that little crack in the glass. I think I've squirted water through there before. Or... Okay. No, nothing nothing uh, fun to no, chat about? It was just... Yeah, no, nothing crazy. I think the only time I've gotten in trouble was uh, Philadelphia. Uh, Hexy took a five-minute major. So Ron Hextall was our goalie, and he took a five-minute major, um, and I was sent to serve it. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, amazingly, the fucking Flyers PP scores, like, 15 seconds into the, the, and the, you know, they used to have that low glass behind the yeah. penalty um, in Philadelphia. And I, I want to say it was in the spectrum yeah. still, but a fan taps me in the shoulders. Like, how does that feel? Like, I was like, dude, you don't, and like, yo, know, and, and the guy in the box is like, Hey, knock it off. Keep it down. And, you know, it's not a big deal, except they score like 30 seconds later on this power play. It's a five-minute major, so it's now it's like another 2 nothing, and, and the guy's like, yeah, dumb-dumb. I'm like, dude, it's not my penalty. <laughs> and so maybe a minute later, they score, Philly scores again, and I hear the guy, like, he taps back of my helm, and he's like, ha-ha. And I literally just, I grabbed the, I'm holding the stick, you know, like you hold the stick when you're sitting there, yeah. fist over fist, and I just whack above my head, and I hear a crunch. Oh, shit. And then it's like, oh, my God. And everybody's, I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ, he's bleeding all over. Like, I shattered the guy's nose. Like, oh, I, I didn't know this. Oh, my God. So... There, then and the security's running and I'm like he's trying to grab me so now he's bleeding and they snatch him up and drag him out of there and I'm like alright so let me just get back to the game so everything's fine till we get back to you know I think we won that night we get to, we're down 3 not three nothing, and came back in 1-4-3 or 1-5-4 something because we get back every happy practice the next day and next after practice trainers like Oh, Maloney wants to talk to you. I'm like, what? And they're like, no, 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 no trade, nothing bad. He just he, he wants to talk to you. So like, I run down the hallway, go to Don Maloney's office. He's like, Mick, how are you? I go, good. A big win last night. Good game. Thanks. He goes, uh, so this fan in Philly says you broke his nose. And I'm like, well, I went with the team to the brink and I left. No, anything happened in the penalty box? I go, oh, oh yeah, I fucking totally broke. I go, all right, so all he wants is an apology. And I'm like, no, I'm not apologizing. <laughs> he's like, no, man, he wants an apology. He's going to sue us. I go, well, then he's going to sue you. He goes, I'm not fucking apologizing. 
listen, can you do me a favor and just apologize? And I go, I can do you a favor and tell him to meet me in the parking lot and I will apologize. You know, get the fuck out of my office. Just get the fuck out uh-huh. of my office. And I'm like, whatever. And I walked out and that's how we left it. But that's how I love about Don Maloney. Like he was, he was, the, so they paid, I think they paid the guy off like 25 grand. Wow. To settle. Jeez. I get, it's funny because, you know, um, Ty, you know, you remember Ty had the incident with the fan <laughs> in Philadelphia too. Too. So it's that same glass. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and the guy just leaned over and tapped me on the shoulder. But I was like, that's enough. Yeah. You know, like it was going past. But I think now, obviously, they have like that. Well, I was in the old back too. Well, speaking of glass now, let this brings us to the next fan interaction in Dallas. So you had a fight with Doug Zamolek. And they have high glass in the penalty box. And while there was no physical interaction, I think there were two guys. And again, I know this because the camera was there. And they were hanging over the glass and they were chatting with you. And all you do, all I can make out, I don't know what else you said. You make a gesture with your belly, like a fat belly. And it just looks like you keep saying fat, 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 fat. Do you remember that? No. It's, well, it's hilarious. I'm so glad. I, I... I was such a dick. <laughs> well, I was going to get fat myself, so it's so much easier to just be a complete douchebag to people. Well, I think in your defense, they got out of their seat to engage you. How's that? Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, how many guys, let's say you didn't take the high road. Well, how many athletes take the high road? And you're one of the guys who necessarily didn't all the time. And I'm sure the guys would be like, well, good. That someone, one of us didn't. Good for him. Yeah, I don't know. I think, like, my my personal thing was, like, just said stupid stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I just, I, I don't know. I'd like to, I'd like to, I'd like to, def- and you're right. Like, some guys say, there's guys worse than me. There's guys that were more clever than me. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I've been to, I don't know, I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't even know, 500, 1,000 sporting events in my life. I've never once had the inclination to go and shit talk one of the guys. So, you know. Yeah, well, because you have respect. Then yeah. yeah, that so, makes sense. Yeah. So you broke your thumb this season. How did that happen? Oh, so um, the kid from the Capitals, Oostorp, um, I think I was just back checking, like you know, and, and this is when um, aluminum sticks, right? Not composite or whatever. It was aluminum. Yeah. Were first being tried and tested, and I mean, like as a as a fucking slug, you 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 know, you you pick and choose, and but these guys are all in the hall, and they're like, oh hey, do you want to try one of these? Take one of these, and you know, and you take a couple shots in practice, you. Know, Oh, hey, hey, this thing's got a lot of bump. So I didn't have an, uh, I was using an aluminum stick. I just tried it out and felt like I could manage a puck, you know, with that those little blades in the bottom. Yep. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was back checking, like, on a three-on-two, and the kid, Stefan, I think it's Stefan. Ustorf, Ustorf, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, for the caps, had a jump on me, 
and I kind of whacked him just in case the puck came over. And I must have caught him good because he turned around and slashed me hard enough that he severed my fucking thumb. Oh, shit. I didn't know he severed my thumb. I just thought, like, he slashed me really hard. And so the whistle went at the goal, and I went to cross-check him in the face, and my thumb is, like, detached. The only thing holding is skin. So my stick comes up and cross-checks me in the mouth and cuts me for five inches. And I'm like, I just did that to myself. He didn't do a thing. He's just standing there like, okay, tough guy. Well, I'm like, dude, you understand? I'm going to fucking kill you when I figure out what's wrong. And then I go to the bench and the trainer's like, what's wrong? And I'm like, I don't know. Look at my face. And he's like, while well, you're bleeding. And then I'm like, well, my hand too. He's like, uh, let's look at it. And I pull my glove out of my uh, hand on my glove and my thumbnail is like upside down. He goes, well, I probably have to leave. Like, you got to go. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, like it was inverted. Like he <clears throat> splashed me hard enough that the only thing holding my thumb on was the skin. Uh, so the best part of the story, Joe, is uh, the New York Islanders find orthopedic doctors come and look at me in the locker room after the game. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's definitely broken. I want you to go out to this place in the morning. You know, our, one of our fine Jewish doctors is like, come see me. At 8 o'clock, I'll be there. Let's address this, and we'll get it done right away. I'm like, all right. So you know, a couple cocktails, and they wrap it in ice, and you know, they put this couple needles in it, and I go home with this big wrap, and, and I go out to this doctor's office in the morning and undo it, and they take x-rays, and uh, the doctor, uh, I wish I could remember his name, man, because I, I would punch him in the face right Is, now. Was it Pellman? Elliot Pellman? No. Okay. No, I would remember it. Um, and he literally, it started with an L. He literally like walks in and he goes, you know what? Oh, not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, it, I think we can just uh, set it and uh, it, it'll be in place and you'll be good to go. And I'm like, okay. Like my thumbnail is upside down. I'm like, uh, all right, doc. So he's like, we're going to give you a bunch of, you know, give you some stuff for the pain. And he walks in, puts a knee on my, on, you know, on my groin, uh, on my chest, and literally grabs my thumb and goes, does something. And I'm like, Whoa! like I okay. throw off the bed and the nurses are like, oh my, and I'm like, what the, f what? And, and it's like, and he's like, let me look at it. Let me look at it. He, I think we're pretty good. Get some x-rays. And he walks out. And the girl takes some x-rays. And he walks back. And he goes, you know what? I think I think we're pretty good. Like, oh, yeah? Like, we're good? He goes, yep. He goes, you don't really use that for much more than a club, right? What? What? <laughs> well, don't you just make, like, a fist and club people? Like, well, sometimes there's other times I'd like to stick a key in a car ignition or a radio dial or maybe button my shirt. God forbid I have children. Maybe I'd like to button their shirts. And he just looks at me. He's like, oh, well, then I'm going to have to recommend you to a, a specialist. I'm like, forget it. I'll go to Charlie Malone. That's who did my surgeries. I think he did Dino's hand, too. 
Charlie Malone's the best fucking hand surgeon in New York. I'm sure he's the, he's passed since, but I went to see Charlie the first time. He he opened up my first tendon knuckle, and he looked at me. He goes, "Son, that's a lot of gristle." <laughs> he goes, "Not no not not at this point, but we're gonna get rid of." It. And he cleaned my hand. So like when, at first couple of years, I fought. Uh, first year. Every time I fought, I had, my hand looked like one big knuckle. When he fixed my tendon, it was like it looked like a swollen hand, but it was so much better. Yeah, um, and that—that's why I was like, I'll just go see Charlie Malone. And Charlie's like, Yeah, dude, we're gonna have to operate. They gotta detach that thumb again, put it back so it's in place, and then he put two two pins in it which didn't allow me to work out. You couldn't exercise with exposed pins. Okay. Um, which basically left me out for the year. Yeah, yeah. Well, you did come back, and do you remember who you played in your first game back? Uh, I was. Were we in Pittsburgh? No, you were at home, and you played Buffalo. Oh. Yeah. Did you fight? You didn't fight. That's My question was, well, obviously, if you asked me if you fought, was it difficult to not engage him? I didn't know if he would have any words for you. Um, well, so like the first game I I dressed was in Pittsburgh. Okay. And I wasn't allowed to play, and starting off was like doing shit in front of a bench, and I looked at Mike, and I'm like, just put me out. But I had ex, ex, um, exposed pins. Yeah. Um. And Mike like looked at me, like hesitated, like he was about to send me out. Yeah. I did not to. So I don't know to answer your question. Sorry, Joe. Okay. I don't still had exposed pins, even though I played. Okay. Um, I know I didn't have a full range of motion. Like the one big concern I had that year was that when I made a fist, my thumb still stuck out. Oh, okay. So I didn't want to like punch and, and, and like fracture, shatter my whole thumb. Like that was my big thing. One guy we haven't spoken about yet was Brian McCabe. Uh, did you get along with him? What were your impressions of Brian McCabe? That kid sucked. I fucking couldn't stand him. Oh, um, I, I love Caber. He's the best. He's the best. He, he absolute, absolute best. I mean, you think about anybody coming up and, and I mean, unfortunately dealing with the Mike Milbury era and still going on to be who he was and, and how he developed as a player. Um, yeah, him, Brian Burrard, Travis Green, Scott Lachance, Marty McGinnis, like all those guys were like just, I give them so much credit because yeah. they went through an unnecessarily embarrassing and brutal uh, tenure while they're on. Yeah, don't forget Bertuzzi. Yeah, Bert. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I should tell him. But... <laughs> <laughs> so, so, um, 96-97 rolls around. Now, this is the training camp where Steve Webb was was here. And um, I remember I, I remember going, uh, I think you guys had to camp at the rinks, if I'm not mistaken. And I remember just watching this guy just going around hitting everybody in sight. And um, I wondered, I, I was, you know, even from the outside, you can kind of tell. Obviously, I didn't know to what detail. And I wondered if this was Mike's guy that he wanted to try to replace you and obviously he was a strong guy but he was undersized um but when he comes into camp is he a guy that maybe you took under your wing also 
Webby? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think like the big thing about Webby was like he, he wasn't. I guess you say undersized. Yeah, like he wasn't that six two, six four, big heavyweight. Yeah. Um, I don't. I never felt like he was Mike's guy. I really felt like he was his guy. Like Stevie was his own guy. Yeah. He had that chip, and he was just like trying to prove himself. I understand. Uh, and I, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, we we talked about fighting and Tony. I mean, I think our my conversation with him is: you're not going to win going toe to toe, but you're going to win back. Yeah. So you need to decide like what you know where you fall in there. And I think he did a great job. Uh, I mean, I, I, I'm, again, I'm always a Webby fan. Yeah. Uh, I think Mike manipulated him a little bit, but I don't think it was, uh, you know, I think that happened a lot. Like, I, that, I tell you, remember Dan Plant? Yeah. All right. So this is like another thing I didn't want to say about Mike, but I'll, I'll, I got to say this because you and I are good friends and the, the, we're in L.A., and I just saw Dan Plant, like I think it was this year or last year at, at the alumni mm-hmm. weekend. Um, and there's a face-off in front of our bench in L.A. with Dan Plant and Wayne Gretzky. And Mike tells Danny to jump Gretzky. Come on. Swear to God. And Danny looking at us, and we're on the bench, and I'm, I'm like Derek King, and we're like, nope, shaking our heads. Don't. Mm-mm. No, and Wayne Gretzky says the planner. He goes, "Good, this will end your, this will ruin your. Don't, don't listen to him. He's a, this is all going on on an offside faceoff in front of our bench. Jesus Christ! And planner decides not to jump him and gets sent down the next day. What a dick! But like that, that that's like that's the epitome. <sighs> yeah. Right? And it almost seems like, you know, going back to what you said about what Milbury said to you, do you have another one in it for me? It's almost like he's challenging Plant to see, will he do this for me? Will he jump the greatest player of all time for me? Right. Fuck. That's what I'm saying. That's how insane that human, that, that's what, that's the craziness that, you know, went on there. Wow. Well, Webby, you know, talking about Webby, Webby is a guy, I, the first time I had seen him was actually the year before. Um, I think he was playing in the Colonial League, and he got a few games, I think at the end of the year, with Detroit in the IHL. And uh, they had a lot of their games on TV, and uh, I remember watching him, and I don't remember who he fought, but again, the, he's fighting these big heavyweight guys, and I'm like, who is this kid? You know, like, guys like that, like, you know, smaller, smaller guys height-wise, let's say, taking on these giants, it's like, I'm like, okay, and then when I they signed him, I'm like, oh, I remember this guy. He played in Detroit, okay, and then, you know, for say what you want about his skill set, the guy's a folk hero here on the island. So I mean, he he definitely made his mark with the fans. Fans love him to death. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. and he's another one of those blow up hitters, and yeah, no, with good reason. Yeah. Um, in a game against Philly at the Coliseum, you fought Scott Daniels. But later on in the game, you went after Peter Svoboda. And as you were leaving the pile, you made a motion to your front teeth. And that was in reference to what? So the year before, um, oh, God, 
So I can't. Do you want me to tell you everything, <laughs> dude? It, the floor, the floor is yours. If you're not, if you're not ready for bed, go on. No, no I'll just tell you real quick. So I heard, I heard Peter, Peter Svoboda in junior in Czechoslovakia bribed some kid with some beads or something to perform a sexual act. So I said, Peter Svoboda, like on the ice, I'm like, dude, you're a creep. You like my guys do stuff, and and I must have, I must have said this to him for. Oh, six months, three months out of the season, but no reaction. That MF, all of a sudden, in front of my bench, showed up with a loaded elbow, like elbowed me right in the mouth. Got a five-minute major for it, but he knocked my two front two teeth out. I never know, I, you know, how many fights I've been in, I, I had all my teeth, never, you know, and I was like, God, and in Philly too, and then that's the other thing I wanted to punch Rod Brindamore in the face so fucking bad because like, oh, you lost your teeth. I was like, first of all, you could lose your teeth and nobody would notice you, buck tooth buzzard. Like, uh, and, and and but at the end of the day, yeah, Swoboda knocked out my teeth, and I said I'd wait and I would wait, never make it about me. And I think we were up five one that game. And I pretended to back check, and then I just made a beeline to him. But they had Cordic on the They knew, like, I was going to go after him. It was whatever. And then it's another example. Joe, guess what Mike Mulberry says to me? Why didn't you tell me? I would put you in a position to, like, get. I'm like, dude, it's not about you, you ass. Like, it's, it's not about you. See, I just took care of it. Yeah. And it didn't. I didn't knock his teeth out, so... What are you going to do? Yeah. But I felt better. I thought, that, no. Well, I I, I'm very happy you didn't go into all the details of uh, his uh, incident in the Czech Republic. I think everyone gets the idea. Right. Alleged, apparently. Of course. Alleged. No one, we don't need any problems here. Alleged. Um, so uh, I think I, I had asked you this once. And there was a book written uh, by a couple of the beat writers, uh, Peter Body and Alan Hunt, and they called it Fish Sticks. And in it, and I like the book. I, I think the book is a little slanted towards, it, it, it kind of paints Mike in a different light. Like, I don't know, like, I don't know if he, he treated them well, so they didn't necessarily put in a lot of the stuff, but... Uh, there's a passage in there, and if you allow me to read it to you and then maybe comment on it. Um, Milbury chastised Mick Vakoda in a Detroit hotel lobby after police were called because Vakoda had trashed his room, thus getting the Islanders banned from the hotel. The two very nearly came to blows, with Vakoda screaming back to him, yeah, like you're some role model. The next day, Milbury cleared the team bus, closed the door, and gave Vakoda his chance, but Vakoda declined. Eventually, he was placed on waivers and has never been back in the NHL. So, first of all, obviously, that's not true because you played in Tampa and you played in Montreal. But um, I can't imagine that the uh, series of events happen like it is. Oh, yeah. Happen like they say it happened. No. Well, and I, that that incident is, uh, you know, like the... You know the shamrock on your career. Unfortunately, like you, you, you have a career this long, and everything goes well. And I remember 
you know, we were leaving, we lost in Detroit three to one that night and we were headed to the airport and the flight was fogged in and I'm the first guy to want to go out no matter, like if you say we got six hours, I'll like six hours, let's go. You tell me we got two days, I'm like two days, let's go. Um, but Mike said, like as the bus was pulling into our uh, makeshift hotel because, you know, we, we were expecting to leave. So like a Holiday Inn Express out at the airport, he's like, nobody goes out. Want to have beers here? Stay here. So I order a couple cases of beer up to my room, and we're going to play cards. And I remember a couple guys going like, F that, let's go to, let's go to Windsor. You know, Windsor's just over the bridge. It's probably a 30-minute cab ride, um, Canada, and, you know, shenanigans on the other side. And I literally am like, yeah, you know what? I'm the first guy to go, but not tonight. He told us to stay. So we do that, and we decide to play cards, and I somehow managed to lose $2,000 in 20 minutes. So now I'm not playing cards anymore. Now I'm going to drink beers, and I start crushing cans. Like, I mean, I bought them, so I might as well drink them. Sure. And then we get a knock on the door, um, and I open the door and hotel security, and he goes, "Hey, uh, you got to keep it down. People next door complaining though." And I might have said something like, "All right, we apologize, and uh, next time you come back, you better bring more of you." <laughs> and so the guy walks away. And, and now it's getting uncomfortable because guys are playing cards and I'm kind of like in this place. Like I'm not in a happy place. Right. So there's a knock on the door again. Out the door. And it's Mike. And Mike's like, he looks right past. He's like, you're fine. But uh, you, you, you. And I'll, I won't name the guys in the room. Mm-hmm. But he goes, you, 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 and you are all suspended indefinitely. And I'm like, Mike, this is my fault. Like, I, I guess smoked in cards. I have, I'm having a bad moment. And he goes, nope, you're fine. They're all suspended. And he starts to walk away. Then I walks away, and he knows, like, the, probably, I think, the one thing that will make me feel horrible is my teammates get punished for something. Else. So I'm like, Mike, no, please. So I'm falling. Now I'm chasing him down the hallway. He's running. And he gets to the elevator, and I stop the elevator door. And, like, we just look at each other, and he just goes, don't. And I take my hands off the elevator, and the door closes. And so I go back up to my room. I, like, throw everything that I can get out of my room out the window. And in the morning, you know, the bus, everybody's on the bus, and he's, like, everybody off the bus, and we walk behind the hotel, and he's, like, is this what you guys consider a professional team? And. And so, you know, no, and I start picking up stuff and, you know, we clean it up and, and then we get on the plane, the charter and the, and the flight attendant goes on, um, you guys can only have beer. And I go, what? (laughs) (laughs) And she goes, uh, yeah, I mean, I can't give you anything but beer. And I'm like, I'll get like four. (laughs) Derek King's like, dude, seriously, Derek King, dude, seriously. Uh, so then we go back to the Coliseum and then Mike goes off on another tangent, um, you know, with the team. And, and I, obviously I, I fucked up. Like, it's not even funny. Like I let my teammates down. 
um, and I felt awful. So uh, I walk, Mike, the trainer's like, go talk to Mike. And I go talk to Mike, and he's like, you're going to Salt Lake tomorrow morning. And I'm like, yeah, I get it. And I go, I'm really sorry. He goes, I don't want your apology. And I'm like, I'm apologizing to you. I'm sorry. <laughs> and um, and that's kind of it. Uh, so, but here, here's the kicker, right? So the following year, I have a year left on my contract. Mike's going to send me right to, this is where I like Mike, like it's all the credit for everything. Mike's going to send me right to Utah, which basically would blackball me. Except, uh, Paul Cruz, Ken Belange, whoever he has for tough guys, everybody gets hurt. So Rick Bonus calls me and goes, Mick, you got a year left on your contract. We hear you're in great, I'm, I'm in ridiculous shape. He goes, we hear you're in really good shape. Can you promise me that you'll come to camp and not cause you know any trouble? And I'm like, what kind of trouble, both? He goes, I don't know. Just come to camp and, and play hockey. I go, Absolutely. So that's what I did. I came to camp. Um, I made the cuts. And that's how I got claimed off waivers. Because I think I fought Grimmer in Carolina. And I had a couple good bouts with somebody that got me noticed in Tampa. Um, and that's how I got cl claimed by Tampa. But I left on my terms. Like I was, I made the Islanders. And... Rick Bonus came over and like he goes, hey guys, uh, we're gonna pull Mick off the ice. Um, he got claimed off waivers, and I get to leave like get taps and shake hands and hugs with all my teammates, which is what all I wanted. I mean, I felt bad about what happened in Detroit. Mm -hmm. When you went to Utah, when he sent you to Utah, you were reunited with some friendly faces, which must have been nice that season uh, with Butch Goring and uh, Chevy. Yeah. Um, not that you ever want to go to the minors, but was it was there a sense of relief in a way that you were away from him and you were around people who appreciated you being there? Kinda, except my wife was pregnant with my first child, and um, you know I was worried about whether I'd be available uh, for the birth of my my first child. Um, going down to the minors, yeah. I mean, going to Butchie, yeah. All that stuff was awesome. I mean, I, I couldn't imagine, but, you know, leaving the Islanders under those circumstances, um, I felt like I was letting my teammates down. I mean, which I was, right? Like, that was my job, like, to be there and make sure, you know, I was there a long time, and uh, I didn't like letting teammates down, so... As you know, as comfortable as it was, like to go down and play for Butchie, and and oh, Chevy was there, Gord Devine, and uh, I think Andy Brickley came after the season with with the Bees Radio or TV. Um, yeah, it, it was nice to be around people, and it was nice to play hockey and and all that stuff. But yeah, you, uh, if my numbers are right here, you aside from leading the team in penalty minutes, you also scored eleven times in forty three games. Butchie put, Butchie put me right in the front of the net of the power play. And I mean, there's a, you know, there's an infamous joking story where I think my first shift, I dumped the puck in on a two and one and changed and 
which he pulled me aside on the bench and put his arm around me. And he goes, you know, I, <clears throat> I realize you haven't played hockey in a while. And he goes, but here in the mind, you know, American league, we consider that a scoring chance. <laughs> and I just like stare at him and we smiled and yeah. So yeah. it's, but she was awesome for me. He yeah. was, he well, really, he, he wants, not just me. He, he wants people to succeed. Like, but yeah. I, I love I love playing for him. So obviously, after your NHL career that you had up to that point, you go down to the minors, and you were in this position at one point when you were younger, where you have young guys trying to make a name for themselves. Um, did you feel like you were a target down there? I'm as much a target because I was still like on that bubble, Joe. Like, can I get back to the show? Right. So I got to keep doing it. Um. But, you know, one of the things about the minors, man, people are tough everywhere, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, you try to, you know, there's some guys that are, um, that have been up and down, that are like, you know, like Brad Miller, right? Like yeah. in Vegas, and you have guys, you know, um, Sasha Lakovich, I think, was in, in Vegas. Yeah. And I think Chief Simon Jason was in Vegas. and Yeah, you've seen so, him. Yeah. Yeah, you have all these guys. Yeah, you have all these guys that, you know, you try to figure out um, who you should fight, whether you should fight. Plus, you know, I'm, I'm playing like on a, maybe a second line. Um, you know, what's in the best interest of the team? I think the big thing with Butchie is like, you know, you're there to win. Like, Butchie doesn't care what, what you do. Just don't affect the team. You know, don't derail the team from winning. Which I love. That's what I loved about Butch. Like yeah. he was, you know, he'd do these stupid little one-on-one drills at the end of practice, and you could do it with him. And I swear to you, he would cut your throat to win. Yeah, I'm not surprised. I'm not and surprised. he would skate off, and you'd be bleeding, and he'd be like, "Anyways, uh, you only adult." Like I was like, "You, I'm bleeding because you scared me in the throat." You <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so um, when Obviously, being claimed by Tampa was bittersweet because you're leaving the only organization you ever you had ever known, and uh, you know you made your mark here, regardless of what Mike wanted to do or whatever. But you know, like I said, the fans, you you have fans here to this day. When I walk around the Coliseum with my 38 jersey, people stop me and are like, "Oh, I love him, I love him," and uh, you know the amount of teammates that you had that you made an impact with. Um, when you think about your time here when you don't think about Mike Milbury, it has to, ha- you have to have a lot of fond memories. No, absolutely. And he's such a small part of, um, I mean, I think about like the first time, <clears throat> you know, getting called up from Springfield and, and asking the guys how to get to Long Island. And then I was late for practice and, um, you know, like guys are going on, not late, late guys are going on the ice and you're running down the stairs, stumbling, you know, with like four sticks and, hockey bag and like not having a fucking clue and all the guys just like smiling and messing with you all the way from that moment to um you know like like al when you you asked me about that 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 wells moment in that game and and i'm in that you know the very back room that um um rich pilon was gonna hide to jump dale hunter so that stitch room, 
I'm back there getting my knuckles sewed up after that Wells thing. And I mean, I took a five minute major, I believe, and, and basically sewed up the Rangers eliminating us that night. And Al came in and he just literally put his hand on my, like, behind my head, like you would do to someone you cared about. And he just said, you okay? And I said, yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I ripped my, my knuckle was 10, 12 stitches open which is nothing compared to what Jay had. Yeah. It was a lot. And I just said, yeah, I'm fine. And Al goes, all right. And like, he knew, like I was passionate, you know? Yeah. Oh, it, it, it came through. I mean, like I said, the, one of the reasons why, you know, like I'm, I'm such a big fan. I mean, even before you and I became friends was you could, you could see your passion. And, and like I said earlier, you played for the Islanders, like, fans would want to play for the Islanders. You played like you were born here, like, like you took so much pride in being an Islander. So I know, I, like I said, I speak for all Islander fans where we really appreciate uh, what you did here during your time. But you're wrong. You had 16 goals for the Islanders, not 14. Wow. Yeah, see, you just got two more goals in the course of two hours. Pretty awesome. I always thought it was- Works. Yeah, awesome. 16 goals. So you take your 500 games with the Islanders, your 16 goals, your 1879 penalty minutes to Tampa. So how weird was that whole experience going from the only team you've ever known to a new team? Yeah, it was it was super weird um, because uh, Phil Esposito like, came up to me one of the first practices and was like skating beside me. And he's like, listen, you played on some good teams. What do you think's wrong here? <laughs> I was like, yeah, for like two hours, dude. But I can tell, like, uh, isn't that kid dating your daughter? And like, <laughs> like the leading, you know, the leading goal scorers dating your daughter and Schwarzkosta. Uh, this, this is so much wrong here, dude. I can't fix any of it. Uh, Louis DeBrusque and I got together, and that's where I met Jake DeBrusque, Louis' kid. Who's with the bees now? Yep. That was just flipping tape balls in the middle of the room, flipping. He was flipping them with a hockey stick. Awesome. <laughs> it was hilarious. Uh, uh, you also, you also had another teammate on that team that you had a bit of history with, Jamie Huscroft. Oh yeah, Husker was there for a bit. You yeah. didn't bite him at all, right? As a teammate, you didn't bite him. No. And and Husker's a good dude too. Like there, there was a lot of good guys on that team. That's just a really poorly run organization at the time. You remember? Uh, uh, do you remember your first shift with the team? No. You fought Scott Daniels. Really? Yeah. Was he with Hartford? Jersey. Jersey. Oh. Yeah. No. Yeah. You must have thought you were still with the Islanders that year. You fought Daniels on your first shift, and you fought Oliwa three times. Oh, I remember fighting Oli. I, Oli's like nuts, too. That's like another guy that's not present. Um <laughs> But yeah, no, I'm, I thought I tried and we had, so think about this. I had three coaches in 10 years on Long Island and I had three coaches in, I don't know, a month and a half. I didn't know that you had three coaches in Tampa. Yeah. Terry Crisp, uh, interim coach Patterson, right. Yeah. And, and then Jacques Demers. Right, right, okay. I got traded, like, so I waited till we had, like, a little bit of a streak. So our streak was, in a three-game span, we tied Philly and beat somebody, um, 
And so I had Patterson, the assistant coach, ask Terry Chris, sorry, Jock Demers, if it'd be okay if I wrote, I had my Harley ship down in Florida. And I was like, you know, I don't want to just, you know, you have players parking lot. I don't want to show up in my Harley and the coach doesn't know. So I was like, you know, is it okay? Ask Coach Demers if it's okay if I ride my Harley to practice. And this color. So uh, Jacques Demers comes in in like this uh, spandex fucking underwear. <laughs> Where is, and you know, we're in the TV lounge. Um, and he goes, where is Mickey the, the, the Dakota? And I'm like, uh, Coach Mick Dakota. Mickey Dakota, you want to know if you can ride your motor scooter to practice, correct? <laughs> um, I just want to, you know, if you don't want me to ride my Harley, Coach, I want to Mickey Dakota, stop. You, my friend, you can ride your motor scooter anywhere you want, ever. Motor scooter. <laughs> Robbie, Robbie Zaminer, Robbie Zaminer, he cannot ride your motor scooter. And then, uh, I don't know who else, pa- Paul Isabart, he cannot ride your motor scooter. And he named the, the top three goal scorers, whatever. He's like, they ride your motor, but you, Mickey Vakota, you can ride your motor scooter. And they were in the room. And I was like, look at that guy's there, like, yeah, you're probably not here long. <laughs> And and you weren't there long because after spending all those years with the Islanders, you're in Tampa for 40 games, and now all of a sudden you're in this big trade to Montreal. Yeah, so it was over, I think it was the Olympic break or whatever, and uh, Marilyn and I, um, you know, we were living in Tampa, my wife, and, and uh, we had our oldest son, and she might have been pregnant with Nick, and uh, phone rings over the break, and she goes, oh, hey, it's your coach. And I'm like, what? I answer the phone. He goes, Mick, it's uh, Jacques Demers. You've been traded to the Montreal Canadiens. And I'm like, yeah, all right, boys. Have fun. Click. And I hung up. I thought it was a joke. Phone rings right back. Mickey Vicota, this is Jacques Demers. Do not hang up on me again. (laughs) Oh, coach, this is really. He goes, yes, I'm sorry. And I'm happy for you. You've been traded to the Montreal Canadiens. And I'm like, oh, so, coach, you got any advice? He goes, yes, shave. And he, <laughs> so like, next morning, I'm like, I had the goatee the whole time. I'm like, no, I gotta shave the goatee. She's like, why? I don't fucking know. So I did. I shaved the goatee and went to Montreal. What'd you think? What Montreal? Well, were you happy? Uh, well, I thought as a throw-in, and then I spoke to Elaine Vigneault, who I have a lot of respect for, and he called me in his office and. uh he said, hey, do you know why you're here? And I go, honestly, I have to feel like I'm a throw-in. And he goes, nope, nope, not at all. He goes, uh, I got a lot of, I go, you got a lot of tough guys. Like, you really do. And he goes, I know. He goes, but they don't know their job. So we need someone to that. And I go, you just want me to fight? He goes, do you know your job? I said, I do. I mean, I can do my job. He says, well, then let's go. And I walked out. And I just fought every game for the first eight games. Scott Thornton and I became really good friends. Thornton's like, dude, you do not have to fight every night. I go, yes, I do. <laughs> he goes, what? I go, because you don't know your job, apparently. So, <laughs> fuck you. I was just saying, that's why I'm here. I think one of the, I think the guy he may have been talking about, and I've met him a few times, 
Um, I, I, you know, he probably wouldn't remember me, but I think that was the knock on Turner Stevenson for a long time. It was. It yeah. was key. It was. It wasn't just Scott Thornton, but I mean, they had uh, Stefan Cantal, Turner, and Thornton. Like three. Uh, Scott Thornton is arguably like he's a punch for punch kid. He's wicked tough. He has. Uh, he's had some really good fights with Diddick. Yeah. Um, and I, I love Thornton. And he's tough. But yeah, like they just got, you know, like they're waiting for somebody else to do it. Like, I, I mean, we played St. Louis um, and um, I like fought Twister and, and Twist, like, you know, I just went on a motorcycle ride with him that summer and that wouldn't change anything when it came to the game. But, you know, I'm like, we got to go. And Twister's like, wait a sec, dude, we're both like 10 plus years. It's zero, zero. I go, I know, but I don't know how many shifts I'm going to get. And I just, I just, I'm being told that I get a fight. And Chris was like, are you for real? And I'm like, yes, we're going on this face-off. And uh, the one thing that, you know, I, happened was like, I dropped my gloves thinking Chris would square off. And he didn't. He just grabbed me. And he, remember I told you this, yeah. the other, like, I, it's the only time I've ever felt he's, someone hesitated to give me the benefit. Yeah. Um. And he was so mad at me for implying that 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 was the case. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I I honestly it's just what it felt like because yeah. I turned and his gloves were off and his he was loaded and I was like holy I, I'm fucked I could be fucked. Um, but yeah, that's that. With Montreal, you definitely um. Well, you never picked your spots, but you definitely didn't pick your spots with Montreal. So, aside from Tony, you fought Brashear, who was pretty much coming into his own. Um, he gets a lot of criticism for his uh, in-style, but he's a strong dude. Uh, Sandy McCarthy, your replacement in Tampa. And you had an amazing fight with Chris Murray. Do you remember that one? Yeah. I mean, I think it's amazing because of how much blood. Yeah. But- it really wasn't like I think I hit him twice. Um, the Sandy McCarthy fight was better for me yeah. because Stevenson came back after the fight and he goes, Sandy McCarthy told him he's like, he cut me. Like I didn't know I cut Sandy. Yeah. And he was like, fucking kid cut me. I didn't know he could hit like that. Mm-hmm. And Turner, I was like, what do you mean? He called me a kid. And I told Turner I was going to go back after him. Calm <laughs> down. No. No, yeah. as a compliment. I was like, oh, oh okay. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that was prime Sandy. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, after the Murray fight, you guys came to the island because I remember talking to you in the press box. Um, Did you? I, I, I match, though, right? I don't think I played. Did no, I? you didn't play. You were in the press box. I, 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 okay. We were. We chatted a bit. Now, did, you didn't play any games against the Islanders at the Coliseum, did you? No. Yeah, I remember that. I, that's what I'm saying. I was wondering if I was remembering it correctly because I don't remember you playing against him. I remember you playing, I think you played him in Tampa. Um, yeah. And I I'm in Montreal because that's my big Richie Pilon story. I don't know if you know that I owned racehorses with Richie Pilon. Well, the whole thing with, with, with Richie, and it's like the thing we, we mentioned with Neil Sheehy where, you know, they get the press notes and every time someone mentioned Neil Sheehy, it was the Harvard thing. It was the Harvard thing. And with Richie... Um, 
because at a certain point when we moved away from the island for a little bit and I would watch the game, sometimes it was the road team. It was the road broadcasters. And with Richie, it was he races chariots. He races, he's a chariot racer. He owns horses, this, this, and this. So with him, it was always that. So I don't know the story you're about to tell me, so please do. Oh, my God. So he talks me into, um, as we play together on the island, he, he comes up with this scheme and he's like, hey, like he did. He raced chuck wagons and chariots. And then the Islanders basically gave him a letter of like, no more, right? You're not racing chariots or chuck, you know, no chuckies, nothing. You're done. So he's like, all right, I got to get into race horses. I can buy horses and then my dad can train them and, you know, we'll buy stable, and, and I'm, I'm like, oh, he, goes in, he goes, hey, there, you know, we buy these horses in California, and then we bring them to this gas one. Just think about how fast they'll be. So me, like an idiot, I'm like, sounds good. Let's buy a couple. So he, he, I'm like, what do you need? He's like, just 15 grand. I'm like, 15 grand, that's it. He's like, yep, give me 50 grand. I'm like, you got it. So he has a check for 15 grand. And he buys a couple. And th- don't forget, he's racing these horses in my hometown. Mm-hmm. So my mom and dad get to go to the racetrack. Like, if you, even if I'm not there, my, if the horses win, my mom and dad get to go to the winner's circle. You know, like, so there's a little bit of, for me, like, it, it, it's, you know, it. it this would be really nice if it works out. Yeah. So I give him 15 grand. He buys a couple of horses. He has them shipped to Canada. I'm like, yo, Hey, so when are they running? And he goes, you're not going to believe this. I'm like, well, try me. He goes, they're setting their coats. I'm like, what? He goes, they're setting, like they're getting set for winter. I'm like, why would they get set for winter? He goes, I don't know. They think it's cold. I go, because they're from fucking California. You <laughs> idiot. You bought horses in California. And you bought the Saskatchewan in fucking July. They think it's the fucking winter. Well, it'll just take a while. <laughs> no, I swear to God. I, I lost my mind. I lost my mind. Well, so, the- this, is, this is how we end up in Montreal. Right, so I own racehorses with Richie for a while. My parents get in the circle a couple of times. I think we win a couple of races. I don't know. I mean, I remember the first two horses. Here comes the thrill pump kite. One's a donkey. The gate opens. The fucking horse doesn't leave the gate. Like, this is a true story. I hear this. My buddies in Saskatchewan are, like, calling me. They're like, hey, do you own a horse called Tom Kite? Because it says you do. And I'm like, yeah. They go, yeah, it's still in the gate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, click, hang on, like, I don't want to know anything more about this experience, except now I'm in Montreal, and the Islanders are playing uh, in Montreal, and it's the first time, and I'm dressed, and uh, I'm in warm-up, and I come back in, the trainer goes, hey, uh, Richie Pilon sent you over a letter, and I'm like, oh, all right, I'll just put he goes, I put it in the back, and he goes, he goes, but he told you you should read it before the game, and I'm like, oh. I like it might be important. Maybe his mom and dad are sick or whatever. So I run over, open it, and it's a return on my fifteen thousand dollar investment, and it's a check for like thirty eight dollars and fifty six cents. Come on! And it's he says, don't spend it all at once. <laughs> I come up for fucking the game, 
and I'm like trying to cross the line and find him. You, you think I could find? Uh, all I see is white teeth. Like he's just smiling <laughs> and laughing at me, knowing like I'm completely fucking out of my mind. Oh my god! Yeah, that's it. And that's my advice. Don't buy racehorses. Oh. Yeah, I got to get him on the show because I I definitely have to get his side of that story. Oh my god, he's so he's such a bullshitter. He'll he'll tell you, oh, we won at least six races. <laughs> so so uh, after the season's over in Montreal, we go to ninety eight, ninety nine. Did you have any <laughs> offers, uh, any NHL offers? No, no, no. After Montreal, yeah, yeah, no, no. And then I was like. Uh, Butchie, uh, was it Butchie or Borny? I don't know. Butch, I mean, was, Butch was there in 98-99. Yeah, so there was a, like a, a, no, not a bit. No, it was Borny. I think Bobby Bourne took over. He was and, there the next year. So whoever offered me like a decent deal to come play in, in the, you know, for them. And I was like, all right, I'll go. Um, and then, uh. Uh, at some point, oh, I broke my pelvis. That's what happened in the minors. And yeah. I was with uh, this kid, Rourke or O'Rourke or whatever, and I, I hit him hard, and he fell down, and I decided to hold him up so I could hit him one more time, and my pelvis broke. I remember uh, that. And that changed everything. Um, just uh, everything I, I did, you know, everything I do and, and did, it was like different. Because your groin shortens, it was uh, you know, they had to un- unwind the groin and reattach it to your pelvis, and every every now and then, like you feel like a tear, but it's not the groin detaching; it's just scar tissue. God almighty! Um, but so it wasn't any, you know, it wasn't fun anymore. It wasn't, uh, and I remember thinking to myself, I'm like, oh, I'm not going to play hockey for like seventy five grand. So I decided to become a deputy sheriff for. Uh, 80 grand but like over the course of a year <laughs> I, was like, I was just working for six months and now i'm gonna like work year round well don't jump ahead to that yet because we're going to talk about your final season which was 99 2000 in utah and that was the year of bob Bourne. he replaced butch goring uh yeah. what you did you like playing for Bourne? i did like playing for borny i don't think i was a good i don't think i was a good soldier you know i don't think i was a good I don't think I, he traded Gord Deneen, and once he traded Gord Deneen, I kind of so at, at the prep prep. So uh, that last year, Joe, I agreed. There was contract negotiations going on in the summer, and it really wasn't about a lot of money. It was about um, as long as he signed Gord Deneen, then I would come. I just want I like playing with Gordo. Gordo's a great captain. Yeah, I knew he would be a contender. Um, I knew it would be a fun season. You know, like when you play with Gord, like you have a lot of a lot of camaraderie, a lot of team activity. Like, I, and I was looking forward to that. Um, and I waited till Borny signed Gordo to accept his offer, mm-hmm. um, and then he traded Gordo. You know, mid-season, and and I just kind of went south on that. And once again, I I don't think I was a good te- I don't think I was a good teammate. I don't think I was a good you know, player. I think I lost my interest. Well, I, I can't speak on that because obviously Utah doesn't get a lot of press here. But one of the things I did I do know that happened 
you, uh, your guy that you broke the Islander penalty minute record against Claude Boyvan. Uh, he was in Long Beach at the time, and uh, there was an incident. There was a brawl, and I think you KO'd him, and you were suspended eight games. Do you remember that? Yeah, right at the beginning of the year. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I dropped him off. The it was a line brawl. It, was a fa it wasn't like a sucker punch or anything. No, yeah. it was a fair fight. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, I, I I mean, he was laying unconscious at center ice. Um, but he was. I mean, I left him alone. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was, well, no, it was like, he wasn't, first of all, Claude Boyvin fights. And I fought yeah. him in that year, and I think he put like six stitches in the back of my head. Mm. It wasn't, um, you know, it was a victimless crime. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now this, I, I have this note, and like I said, I had notes for this interview for 10 years. So I must have read this somewhere. And uh, this is something to confirm or deny that you and Boyvin almost had a fight at a place called the Wasatch Grill. Yeah, is that... inside the yeah, that's it in Salt Lake City upstairs, the bar. Yeah. Okay. Also, yeah. he he wanted to go at you there, or what happened with that? Well, I think he was a scratch for a while after that. Mm -hmm. Maybe he was upstairs, and and you know saw each other i don't know you know how that works yeah. like they got upstairs they try to you know they got a couple they have a couple pops and but yeah no i don't i, I don't think it was a big deal first of all i don't think claude boyvan is a big deal um, no it, not not in the not in the pantheon of enforcers let's say but uh i didn't know what that place was and that's all yeah. the ice thing so of course i have to ask yeah, no, that's okay. It's just a brewery that's upstairs in the uh, East Center where we played at at that time. So, like, most both teams would go upstairs, and a lot of times, like, uh, uh, the, the Grizzlies would put food out for the visiting team. Mm -hmm. Just so, so they section in the back to eat and get some food. Um, but that's pretty much it, I think. All right, so, believe it or not, we are almost at the end here. After all these hours that you've given me, you're an absolute... Prince, I really appreciate it. So I just want to, at this point, we're going to say you, your NHL career, 573 games, 17 goals, 29 assists, 49 points, 2,071 penalty minutes. That's not bad for a kid that wasn't drafted. Correct. And 23 playoff games. Correct. All right. So now here's some general questions. And again, this is some of the notes that I wrote years ago. Is it true that you manhandled the Pepsi machine at Dean Chanel's wedding? False. Okay. Um, well, this isn't this isn't a true or false thing. This is actually a real question. Uh, did I read correctly that after you retired, I think when you first moved to Massachusetts, you ran into a few marathons? Uh, no. 5Ks, 10Ks, but not marathons. Well, anything over like a quarter mile to me may as well be a marathon, but, uh, yeah. you know, okay. I, I ran a, quite a few 5Ks, and then I think I ran a couple 10Ks. Oh, okay. Not, yeah, six miles. Yeah. That's, uh, that's very impressive to me. So, uh, okay, allow me to give you some shit here, because I remember when you were here with the Islanders, you were a Chicago Bears fan. And now you are a Patriots fan. When did that happen? 2001. When do you think that happened? Dude, that is so fucking lame. I'm, you know, I, I do not accept your switch. 
I was like, I moved here in 99. I went, listen, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. I went to my first, my boss, my employer, took me to my first uh, Patriots game at Schaefer Stadium, which was the snow game against Oakland. Oh, is that right? That's my first game. So, like, all the, all the Patriots fans were leaving, right, Be- because of the tuck rule. And then all of a sudden it was reversed. And then Oakland fans came back, and I got in, like, two scraps in 20 minutes. And my boss was like, holy shit. And, like, and it was just amazing. It was snow and booze. And, yeah, that was my first game. Wow. Um, but I, you live hard not to be a Patriots fan. Not for nothing. I know the rest of the country hates them. It's hard not to because they're competitive. Even where you want to call them cheaters, you want to call them whatever, they're relevant. I do not accept your switch. Uh, you're still a Bears fan in my eyes. <laughs> oh, my God. I got a buddy, that best friend here, that's a Bears fan. He just fucking hates me. <laughs> now, you're also, I, I know I'm assuming, well, I shouldn't assume anything. When you were here, you were a rabid Yankees fan. Did you, switch to, did you switch to the Red Sox? No, no. Still a Yankees fan. There's a lot of Yankees fans out here, too. Okay, so you're not completely, you're not a complete shill for the Massachusetts teams. Oh my god! <laughs> All right, stop hating on the assholes. <laughs> All right, so here's here's where your career takes an interesting turn. Eleven years after you retired, you dressed for one game in the FHL for the Cape Cod Blue Fins. How did that come about? So, I'm so glad you asked me, Joe. Um, I was in a bar. No way. Yeah, with okay. a good, good family, uh, friends of a family that I'm like very close to here, the Jacksons, own a couple of restaurants and have three boys, and they're all hockey, not knuckleheads. And I, it's how I got into the men's league, and yeah, I get into trouble just about every time I go out with them. Um, and so the one brother who coached the high school varsity team, we're, you know, we're sitting in a pub, and he goes, uh, hey, keep God blue. And I'm going through my first divorce, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, after 20 years. And he goes, uh, hey, uh, Cape Cod Bluefins are playing, a, they're doing a preseason thing here tomorrow. And I go, yeah. He goes, you should, you should I, I'm friends with the coach. You want to play? I like, dude, I'm in the best shape of my life. He goes, yeah. He goes, I go, I'll, I'll fucking destroy somebody. He goes, oh, really? Okay. Well, if you get a call, make sure you answer it. And then he hangs up and, you know, he walks away or whatever. And we keep drinking till two in the morning. I'm home by three. And the next thing you know, at like 530 in the morning, I got this message from some general manager of the Cape Cod Bluefins. He's like, hey, would you like to play today at 5 p.m.? And I'm like, what? <laughs> and so I, I yes. I'm, I'm like, all right, I return the call because I don't want to be a dick. And then I'm like, listen, I was up last night till 4 a.m. He goes, well, are you drinking right now? <laughs> and he goes, well, you'll be five, fine by five, right? I go, I'm fine now. He goes, all right, we'll see you at the rink. So, again, I'm going through this divorce, and my oldest son plays hockey for the varsity team. So I tell him, I'm like, hey. I go, uh, you know, play hockey today in that, in that, you know, game. And he goes, <laughs> you know, 
I go, why are you laughing? He goes, well, first of all, you're too old. I go, hey. but listen, come with me and you can watch. Like your team's going to be there. And I go, now that you're being such a smart ass about it, let me tell you something else I'm going to do. I'm going to get in a fight. And he's like, why would you do that? And I go, because I can. These things I can do, Alexander. I can get in fights. And not only am I going to fight, I'm going to fight the biggest guy on the other team. So he and I are pulling into the rink at 5. The game's at, like, whatever, 6.30. And there's got to be a six foot six, 260-pound black guy standing out front of the rink. And I go, unless that guy's playing, of course. <laughs> Thinking the guy, the guy, there's no, what, what, first of all, why? Why would he be playing hockey? He's huge. And it, it, it's, it's some kind of a semi-pro game. So I get in, and we go for warm-up, and he's on the other team. And he's some guy, like the Motor City fucking something guy. And I'm like, what does that mean? They're like, yeah, nobody fights him because he A, he beats you up, and then B, he sucks at hockey. <laughs> what? 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 what kind of negotiating is this? So Alexander's in the stands, and he's looking at me in warm-up, and he's like, don't do it, Dad. Don't do it. Now I'm like, oh, fuck yeah, I'm going for it. Like, <laughs> tell me, don't do it. So first shift, I go out there, and I bump the kid, and I'm like, hey, you want to go? And he goes, hey, uh. My coach told me I can't fight you. You know, it's just kind of a your promotional thing. <laughs> a promotional thing. Like, oh, 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 I was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, pardon me. Joe was like, phew. <laughs> but then I realized, like after I go back to the bench, now my kid thinks I'm scared of him, right? So now I'm like, well, I gotta fight him. Now it's like, I can't fix this. I gotta fight. So the next face off, I go out and I go, um, hey, I know. You, you can't fight me. I get it. I read, I read it. But, uh, however, if you don't fight me, I'm going to run your goalie. <laughs> you <laughs> broke out the old line. All right. And the line's been sitting there looking at us. He's got the puck in his hands. He's watching the conversation. And he goes, well, well then I'm going to have to fight you. I go, see? See? <laughs> yeah, I'll go. So the linesman drops the puck, and I don't even take a swipe at it. I start moving towards the net. I swear, Joe, it was like a fucking lunar eclipse. <laughs> this guy is on my shoulder. I turn around. I drop my gloves, and he just grabbed me, and he, I'm lucky to be alive. <laughs> he shot the shit out of my brain. He, I don't think he threw a punch. Yeah. I tried. I tried. But he just, like, kept shaking me violently, and I felt I got to the penalty box, and I was like, I don't think I could fight a fucking five-year-old right now. I can't feel my arm. I can't feel my neck. My ears are ringing. And he looks at me, and he goes, you want to go again? I'm going to go get a truck and drive through this building right now and kill you. Like, no, I do not want to go again. Uh, yeah. Hey, my kid knows, so I'm not afraid. That's what, no. that's all I don't. Well, your your last NHL fight was, of course, against Rob Ray. And I guess this is semi-pro. So your last pro fight was against somebody named Jason McCrimmon. That's right, Jason McCrimmon. And they call him Motor City fucking demolisher. So I don't know, whatever the fuck his name is. But. 
So it's not bad. And I mean, what? Eleven years after you retired, you take on this mountain of a man. So good on you. And and now Alex, you know, not that he doesn't have hours and hours of footage to watch, but at least he got to see you live there. Oh yeah, and he he's not surprised by anything. He's like just embarrassed. So. <laughs> so last two questions. February 20th, 2015, you were inducted into the Spokane Chiefs top 30 and 30. What did that mean to you? Well, huge, 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 huge. And, and you know, like I have like a, a, a strong um, connection back to Spokane as far as like people that I'm, uh, that, that I, would, not only did I play hockey there, but that part of the community, like that whole member um, family was like a giant membership. I guess, like, best way to describe it. It's like just um, from men's league to uh, the charitable organizations to, like, whatever Chiefs did. But just, like, it was such an awesome place to play junior hockey. Um, and then to go there and see what it is now, which is, you know, it, it's pretty, it's amazing. Like, the, the new rink that they have and, and the way they run their organization, and, the, and the, then to be recognized, you know, from that long ago, pretty cool. And I think uh, when you uh, when you went in, you went in with uh, was it Steve Junker? Am I right, a former Islander? Yep. Yep. Junks and I went in, and we had great giggles. And uh, Junks was there that Pittsburgh run because I think that that '92 run. I think he played. Uh, when I got, maybe when I got pulled in the Montreal series, I think Junker might have played, I don't know, Steve played some playoff games for us. I love Junker. I, yeah. I knew, I think he, you know, he had, I think he could have had a better career. Um, but, funny, we're talking right now, and I'm watching Tampa Bay LA on TV with no sound. I'm looking at Todd McClellan, and all I keep thinking about is, you know, he was my roommate in Springfield that first year. Mm-hmm. And the trivia question that Stan Fischler threw out was like, uh, all three of these guys scored on their first NHL shot. They all lived in the house together in Springfield, which was me, myself, or me, myself, and Irene, uh, myself, and Rod Dalvin. We all lived together in Paul Fenton's house, and we all got called up our first year. And we all scored our first shot in the NHL, with the exception of my being the third game. <laughs> well, I mean, that, that's still not bad. No, I mean, it takes you three games to get a shot on goal. So. <laughs> but you scored, so you made it count. Yeah, but Rod Dahlman and Todd both scored their first game up on their, obviously, first shot. Mm-hmm. And we all lived together in 87. So it was pretty cool. Well, if Rod Dahlman answers my text, then I will be hitting you up for some good Dahlman stories if he answers my text about appearing on the show. And then I will be definitely be reaching out to you for some good Dolly stories. I, will. I don't have a lot of good Dolly stories because that kid's pretty quiet. Yeah. <laughs> Tough as nails. Tough as nails. And, you know, I would come back from the bar at 3 in the morning and he would be like, open his door and look at me and be like, go to bed and shut the fuck up. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, here's the last question, and it's not about you. Your son, Alex, who we just spoke about, he attended an Islanders minicamp in 2017. Uh, what was that? How did that come about? Uh, I don't know. I know that he played for the Junior Islanders. Um, 
on Long Island. And then he told me he'd been invited. And then I, you know, it was in, I want to say it was June, July. And I decided to go up and, and Luke Richardson was there at the time. And he goes, no, like there's some type of correlation. And But I'll tell you this is the funniest. And I feel bad. They do that. Remember I told you that 101 story about out of the hole on the dot. Right earlier, where Richie hits it. Yes, ball. yes, yes. Mm-hmm. So they they do do a similar drill, right, in this rookie camp. But Matt Barzal is in the camp. Okay. And so Alexander goes against them, and ends up keep getting paired against them a couple times. And I mean, he doesn't even get to the dot, and Barzal's gone. <laughs> and so I could tell he's getting frustrated, and I'm like, oh my god, just don't do it, don't. Don't do it. Like the deal is pivot and you can't turn till the blue line. But AV's trying. This kid is trying so hard. So now he's like trying to get a little bit of a jump. And now he's closer to the blue line, but he's still nowhere near. So he lunges at Barzal's feet. And then it's like tweet. The whole drill goes off. And like Luke Richardson's got him on side. He's like, well, I don't know. What the fuck? I can't catch you. Like I go, AV, do you realize like how lucky you were just to go foot to foot against Maddie, like just to see how fast someone is like that. Like yeah. you'll never catch him. Yeah. But it's good to know, like you can never catch him. I guess. I don't know, but you got to compete against them, which a lot of people can never say. It's true. Well, first of all, thank you for the insane amount of time that you've given me. And I cannot thank you enough. And I, I really appreciate it. And um, I guess my final question to you is, did I miss anything? No, I don't think so. I, I told you before, Joe, I love talking to you. Um, you know, a couple of people uh, reached out to me and, and had listened and, and commented. And they're like, you know, how do you, you know, and I go reminiscing. Like, reminiscing with you has been my favorite part of this whole thing. Oh, I appreciate that. Honestly. Because, like, a lot of that, I, I don't talk about this stuff, and I, I probably won't think about it again unless we, talk, you know, yeah. somebody is relevant and wants to talk about it. But typically that's just not, you know, it's not what my day-to-day life is. Yeah. So it's really nice to sit back and reminisce with you. Um, you know as much about the people uh that we talk about as I do in, in most cases, right? Like, because you were there. Yeah. Um, and that's my other, that's the other stuff that's fun. You know, like we talk about Caniac Park. I'm not like, you know, you're like, oh yeah. <laughs> I miss those days, man. I, I do. I miss those days. Yeah. Well, uh, I hope I held up my end of the bargain. Cause I told you this years ago, I want this interview that I do with you to be the interview definitive Mick Foda career interview and I hope I held up my end of the bargain no absolutely and I completely enjoy talking and sharing and, and um, I don't know if I held up my end of the bargain but you know I'm easy to get a hold dude this is this is gold and I said the feedback I got on the initial part one has been phenomenal and I'm, I'm sure everyone's going to love this and uh, I mean you're on social media so you'll see it too but Thank you again so much. All right, Joseph. It's always good talking with you, my brother. All right, Mister. I'll talk to you later. Amen.
All right. You too. Bye now. How fucking awesome is Mick Vakoda? I mean, honestly, um, the guy works full time. He's got a young son at home. Um, he's got his girl. Got a life and uh, still was kind enough to give me over seven hours. And um, I was able to bring it to you. Uh, I think um, my goal was to bring you the most complete Mick Vakoda interview that anyone has done or will ever do. And I think I've done that. Uh, I hope I've done it. If I have left anything out, if there's anything you want to know, just send me a note. And uh, I don't know what else I could possibly ask the man, but I'm more than happy to have him back on again. So uh, I hope that after you're done with part three of the trilogy that you have been thoroughly entertained and you know more about Mick Vakoda than you ever knew or maybe even ever wanted to know. Um, I love doing the interview. Thank you again, Mick. Coming up next week, we're going to mix it up a little bit. So, so far, I've had uh, Dean Ewan, Paul Cruz, Mike McWilliam, Mick Vakoda, all legit killers, legit heavyweights, uh, guys you want to go to war with because you could just stand behind them and let them terminate people. Next week, I have a guy who didn't fight too much, but by his own admission, he kept a lot of enforcers in business. He is Mr. St. Louis. The guy is absolutely everywhere. And he was an Islander for one season. Uh, he played with a lot of tough players, and he had a lot of fun moments, uh, probably irritating every single team he played against. Uh, and by the way, the guy has stories for days, some amazing stories, and um, that'll be Jamie Rivers. Uh, Jamie Rivers, uh, he has like 11,000 jobs right now, and he was kind enough to take some time to talk to me. Uh, and Rivers has a story that nobody else that I'll ever interview can match. Um, and it happened when he was playing overseas, and that'll be uh, something we'll definitely touch on, but it will definitely blow your mind if you haven't heard the story yet. So uh, stay tuned next Monday for uh, my interview with Jamie Rivers. It's a little bit different than what I've done. Uh, we're going to pretty much just focus on his season with the Islanders and some really funny stories that I, I know that he's told me and that I've heard him tell others. Uh, you definitely will be entertained. Um, like I said, uh, Rivers is a pest and a pain in the ass. And um, I got some comments from some of his former teammates, too, that uh, should make you laugh. So um, until next week, everyone, you people have a great day.